Hi, everybody. Welcome. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, this is great. This is like our closing session, but uh, yeah, we may we may actually run a little bit over time if uh, if we get revved up and we get down, jump down the rabbit hole together, then we might just have to keep falling down the rabbit hole toward the toward the light. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful uh, movie yesterday, and oh, what heartfelt sharings from the movie. I talked to someone today where they said they felt more of a calmness and a mellowness and a relaxation through the movie, and then when they went to sleep, they dreams were stirred up and, and they had more interesting things. So the movie kind of worked, you know, as a, like a subtle um, healing trigger for nighttime dreams. So that's another aspect of the movie. It seems <laughs> like there's all kinds of aspects and yeah, we're, we're wondering if it might make it even to Netflix. That was what, one of the things we were talking about today because uh, our friend Renata. Renata was saying that it would have such a, a healing impact you know, for the whole world. <laughs> so we have a, a beautiful time today to uh, really interact with you because you've been writing in your prayers and your questions and your concerns and then I, I think we can maybe use some of those um, questions and prayers as springboards to go into some very deep teachings and then um, always love to open it up and, and hear uh, specifically because sometimes uh, like with Pima we've been able, we just kind of touched on you had written a very profound um, deep you really put it into words beautifully and we kind of were able to just touch lightly on it in conjunction with some other uh, questions and, and try to tie things together, but I think today it just gives us this chance, this last session, to really go into things very thoroughly. And um, things may have been triggered or maybe it's been through other people's questions that you've heard something that got your mind wondering or got your mind curious and got your mind questioning. And uh, also just your transparency. I uh, I watched the movie, but I don't know. I, while I was watching the movie, I kept clicking on gallery view just to to just see your beautiful faces and to see your eyes wide open and and the the curiosity of uh, going on this deep spiritual journey and and starting to have insights and light bulbs kind of go off in your mind which is a beautiful thing, because it's so joyful, there's so much joy and happiness and energy with that. And then also it, it can even trigger some more unconscious darkness to come up. That's, that's typically how it happens. Sometimes people watch the movie and have a certain feel or certain reactions, and then uh, it's like it loosens something that, that was tightly repressed or it was denied from awareness and then it starts to trigger some some thoughts and then when those come up that's just an opportunity to again go into inquiry and look at what it, what is it that I believe? What is it that I'm still believing about myself or the world that's, that's holding me back? Actually it was, I think it was um, 
We were talking about that lesson 132 and... and Matthew's uh, question. Matthew. Matthew had uh, written out a beautiful question that related to uh, lesson 132. And uh, yeah, we were looking through all these questions today, but that one... That one really uh, caught my attention. I like to see one of those that has a potential to like take us way down the uh, the rabbit hole. And so, anybody who starts off the question with lesson 132, that catches my attention <laughs> right away. It's like, oh, somebody's really sincere here about about going going down deep. But do you want to read the yeah. the question? Yeah. Hi, Matthew. Welcome, and thank you for sending in. So here is the question. Lesson 132, I lose the world from all I thought it was. What keeps the world in chains by your beliefs, and what can save the world except yourself? Belief is powerful indeed. The thoughts you hold are mighty, and illusions are as strong in their effects as is the truth. A madman thinks the world he sees is real and does not doubt it, nor can he be swayed by questioning his thoughts' effect. His thoughts' effects. It is but when their source is raised to question that the hope of freedom comes to him at last. And from Matthew, and please discuss when the source is raised to question, is this about discerning? Is this thought of the right mind or the wrong mind? Discuss ways to begin hearing. I suppose it comes down to the prayer of the heart. What is cherished and sitting on the internal altar? Thank you. Mm. That's a delicious invitation there, Matthew. Please discuss when their source is raised to question. Well, it's interesting because this world has been described as like an amnesia, uh, like a, a veil of ignorance. It's been described as, um, as, as a, a screen of distraction. And whether we call it sleep, or whether we call it veil of ignorance, or distraction, or whatever we talk about this world, we can start to get a hint from from the passage in Lesson 132 is that that when your mind is focused on the images, and when you're focused on the appearances, and you're focused on, on the world, and you ask you know, questions like, uh, why is this happening to me? And what did I ever do to deserve this? If, you know, if there's a karma belief, or uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, or all the questions about how did the physical universe begin? What, was there a big bang? Uh, all the questions we have about questioning people's motives. Talking to our mother or our father and saying, why did you do that when I was 13 years old? Uh, why did you say that to me? You know, you scarred me for life uh, by, by saying those words, or why did you hit me? Why did you spank me? Or when I was four, and you know, there was no need for that, but I have a memory still of that. It's as if that the things of the world are causative. 
And it says, if there are events and situations and people and circumstances, uh, anything from plagues all the way up through the modern pandemic, whether it's uh, earthquakes or famine, whether it's wars, World War One, World War Two, whether it's um, people who seem to be fighting and races that are fighting and cultures that are clashing or whatever, our mind, it's like, it's like we're looking in a crystal ball called time and space. And we're looking right at that crystal ball and we're trying to figure out the crystal, what's going on in the crystal ball. And what Jesus is telling us is he's saying, Everything that you're perceiving through your five senses and everything you perceive in time and space are the effects of the ego. Uh, he said, you know, you, it's the ego that made the world that you see. I know that contradicts some of the philosophies and spiritualities and religions that talk about, like Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. and and on, on the six days of creating the earth, and then on the seventh day, or the, the world, and on the seventh day he rested. You know, after like, that was a lot of work, <laughs> creating the, the planets and the, the stars and all this, and then rested on the, on the seventh day, and that's Sunday, and then churches use that as the, the day of rest. But that the, the world is a projection of the ego, so everything that's perceived through the five senses are the effects of the belief that you could separate from God. And so, he's saying, when their source is raised to question, he's saying you have to, you have to start to question the ego belief system in order to be free of it. You, you can't just accept what the ego has taught you as true, because what the ego has taught you is separation, and it's blatantly false. And yet, until you start to question your underlying assumptions, until you start to question your, your beliefs, until you start to question the concepts that you hold in your mind, which are really the contents of consciousness, you're not going to be able to be free from the world that you see. You will believe that it's real, because what you believe you make real for you. Even though it's not real in truth, it's not spirit, but it's, you believe that it's true because you've given your mind to it. You made the ego by believing in it and you can dispel it by withdrawing your belief from it. So, how do we even begin to open up to such a profound thing is I have to question everything that I believe. Um, we can look, even historically, if you look back in history, you know, there, you know, if you look at Lao Tzu and you look at the, the Tao, that was some deep questioning of the world. There's a whole philosophy that comes out, Taoism, that came from Lao Tzu. If you look at the ancient Greeks, I always use that as an example, they would sit around in, in pools all day long looking at what they believed, you know. What do we believe about government? What do we believe about the nature of, of mankind, or humankind? What do we believe about, what are the core values, what's important? And, 
And I use the example, the ancient Greeks sat in the pools all day long discussing these things while their neighbors uh, in Italy, the Romans, were out conquering <laughs> the world. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, projection. Uh, that's a little different value system, wondering what the nature of things is versus going out and just saying, oh, it's, we're strong, we're powerful, we'll just take over the world, why not? <laughs> you know? And so that's a contrast there. And then you can come all the way up through the great philosophers, and, you know, and Nietzsche, and you go through Immanuel Kant, and of course it's just a whole history of great philosophers and, and spiritual figures like Mary Baker Eddy, who's, who's receiving all this great wisdom about, you know, there's no mind and matter, there's no life, truth, substance, intelligence and matter, and she's basically starting to point out the same things that, that Jesus is pointing out in the Course. She's just saying, the world is, isn't what you think it is. It's, it's, a, it's a projection of thought, and only God is real, and only truth is real, and only love is real. And basically, she's like a forerunner reflecting in time and space that, that basically nothing real can be threatened and nothing unreal exists. And so you have the great Vedas and the teachings from ancient India, that are, are saying, truth is one, truth is not two. Advaita Vedanta, not two, not two, it's one. So we've seen plenty of reflections through time and space. And even Byron Katie nowadays, you know, you know, question what you believe. You know, is it, is it true? Are you absolutely certain it's true? You know, we're getting great reflections that we have to look at the source of these effects. We have to look right at the very belief of who we are, and who everything is, and, and who everyone is, based on what we believe. Because if what we believe turns into, like the Pygmalion effect, if it turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy, not our Christ self-fulfilling prophecy, but it turns into an ego-fulfilling prophecy, it just means that everything that we perceive, the first thing that we should ask is, what do I believe? What am I believing? Because what we perceive comes from what we believe, and until you're willing to question what you believe, you're not going to escape fragmented perception. In fact, you have no chance of releasing your mind from fragmented perception until you start to examine the beliefs. That's what all inquiry, all self-inquiry is about. There's a whole tradition of, of inquiry. That's, that's the basis behind it. So, so I think when I saw your question I said, wow, that's really beautiful because that's getting at the basic cause and effect. And I've, I've said it hundreds of times, probably hundreds of thousands of times over the last three decades, but basically God is the cause, Christ is the effect. I'm not talking about the man Jesus, I'm talking about the Christ idea. God is the cause, the source, Christ is the effect, and then the ego is the belief that the effect, Christ, can leave the source, leave the cause. So the ego is the belief that cause and effect God and Christ are separate. 
that, that Christ has left the mind of God. And once there's this gap, this not a real gap, but it's just a make-believe gap between cause, God, and effect, Christ, then the ego not only believes that cause and effect are separate, but it turns them around and it splits them apart. And it projects out a world in which we perceive causes in the world and, and effects. The causes precede the effects in the world. For every action in physics, for every action, there's a reaction. You know, if you want to to bake a cherry pie, you have to first put the cherries in the pie crust, heat the oven, bake the cherry pie, and then the cherry pie comes out, and you get out your ice cream, and you have cherry pie a la mode, and you. But it's every system of thought in the world that you, when you go to university, it's all based on cause, false cause and effect. The cause comes first, then comes the effect. People say, oh, so-and-so, uh, oh, a couple that you know is getting divorced. Oh, that's bad, they're getting divorced. People react, that's terrible. What, what's the cause? What happened? Tell us the story. They, everybody wants to know the cause and effect story. People read in the gossip column, they read some you know, headline and then right away, oh, got to go inside the, gossip, the, the headline. I want to go pick up the, the paper, the newspaper and read inside what, what caused it. They broke up? Oh, did you hear they broke up? How did they break up? Oh, let's read inside, let's see what happened. You know, it's all based on fascination, stimulation, drama, it, but the basis of it is that there's causes in the world and there's effects. And then people get on the spiritual journey and they think, well, if I just read the Course for enough years, maybe the cause of reading the Course will bring about the effect of my personal or individual enlightenment. You see, even in spiritual terms, uh, if I meditate enough, if I meditate enough hours, if I do the right postures, the right breathing, if I practice my course lessons just the right way, then in the future, maybe I'll reach the promised land. You know, I'll, I'll be able to, to wake up. And even, so even the spiritual journey is put on a timeline, and then there's all these causes, and then there's all this stress, like, oh, I didn't meditate enough today. Why are you so anxious? I didn't meditate enough. I skipped my morning meditation. You see, it's, it ego's back in the mind just laughing, laughing at this human condition and saying, I've got you like a, a spider who spun a web and I've just caught my prey and you're just, you feel free to just squirm all you want in that spider web, but you're not getting, you're not getting anywhere, you're not getting out of my web. Because the ego is so sure that you will never question <laughs> it. You'll question everything else. You'll question your mother's motives, your dad's motives, you'll question your partner's motives, you'll question the crickets making noise outside, you'll question everything about time and space, but the one thing the ego is hoping you will never question is it. <laughs> because if you start to question it, the source of the false effects, you're going to escape from it. 
So the ego doesn't mind if you squirm and keep asking questions about the world. You know, when will the world end? Oh, the ego likes that question, you know. But it doesn't realize that the world will end in laughter when the mind has questioned it and said, I'm not going to believe in a death wish anymore. I'm, <laughs> I'm worthy of God's love. I'm not going to buy into a death wish. But the very thing that we're looking at here, this will have ramifications for every single question that was written in. For Hazel's question, Julia's question, for Pima's question, you know, for Esther's questions, for every, every single question, Carrie's questions. We'll go into those questions individually, but I think it's helpful that we're starting out with what Matthew's bringing up here because it's basically giving us a, a good clue that if we want to go much deeper and we truly want to escape the, the faulty perception, the fragmented perception of the ego's world, we have to be willing to question everything that we believe. In fact, Jesus is telling us that, that forgiveness is also in our mind. Forgiveness is also a belief, but it's a belief we share with the Holy Spirit which is different from all the other beliefs. Because the other beliefs are all ego beliefs. And he's saying, no, you can't even share those. It's just an illusion to think you can, that the Holy Christ could even share a belief with the ego. But we can share the Holy Spirit's belief in forgiveness. In fact, that's what we're doing. That's what we do as our function. We're constantly sharing the joy, the glee, the happiness of of having a free mind, you know, and, and having, having joy and laughter and love and freedom and all the things that come from forgiveness. So that's, that's a good start. Just watching your face there, you're like, a, you're like the child who, you're like Toto in The Wizard of Oz. You've got a hold of that uh, with your mouth. You've you, you got a hold of the drape, the, the curtain, and you pulled it off and for our retreat. <laughs> Everyone else is like, whoa. And you're saying, yeah, let's look at the wizard. <laughs> let's look at what is it that's pulling the, the levers in there behind that big projection uh, and, and really is frightened of being discovered. You, you know, that's the ego's greatest fear is someone's going to pull the curtain and expose it for all the nothingness that it really is. And I, I do remember in the Course where, where Jesus is, he's describing this whole world as like it, it arises from the mist. Almost like it's just a world of fog and, and planets and mountains rise out of the mists of this um, ego belief system. And yet, he said, those mountains that you perceive are so thin that you could, they, those clouds that seem to be your world, it's so thin that you could drop a button, you could drop a button through them, that they're not solid. But, because you believe in them, they do seem very solid indeed. It seems like when people are talking about the, the coronavirus, that they're talking about an actual thing. Maybe it is invisible <laughs> to, the, to the human eye, but they, they're talking about something that's there. Just like they would say the mountains are there, and the, the rivers are there, and, and the ocean is there. 
But Jesus is saying, you, you can't forget, you're, just, you're talking about the myths, you're talking about the fog patterns of the ego, and when you raise the ego to awareness, you'll see that it was, it was never substantial, it never, it never was solid, it never was real. So, that's, that's a good start for us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Matthew's given us a, a good boost to start <laughs> off with. <laughs> so, what do you think? Well, yeah, we, we're always just uh, we're amazed at the synchronicities and the theme that just shows up on its own sometimes, like today, mm -hmm. this morning we received maybe five, six questions and three out of them are the exact, almost identical themes and back to back, three. So they're from Hazel uh, in Canada and uh, Julia Sandow, Australia and uh, Carrie writing Massachusetts. And um, I don't know, there are some are longer than the other, but it's all around children. Um, so I can just read maybe Hazel's because it's very brief, and then we can get into it. But yeah, just thank you guys for pouring your heart out because it feels so, we feel so honored to have such intimate and trust together and allow these deep life issues to be looked at together with the spirit here. And Hazel's question is, Dear David Francis, when an adult child is in denial of a drug problem which is creating strife within the family, especially in her own young children, what can I as the grandmother do to be truly helpful? Sincerely, Hazel. And um, yeah, I don't know whether we should bundle those three because they're just all similar. Julia from Australia, she, you're saying that my question concerns my daughter's mental illness and diagnosis of bipolar. My daughter Emily experiences episodes of intense anxiety, which results in hospitalization being detained and medication. And the, I think the frustration for you, Julie, when you said was to conclude Emily's mental illness is an illusion seems ridiculous. If only I could see it as on the screen with all other personal crises and world events and above the battlegrounds seems impossible. So that is my own fear, which is intensely highlight, heightened, especially when Emily is unwell, is clearly an over-identification of Emily's fear. My fear is easily triggered. Writing this question has triggered this fear. So thank you, Julie. And Carrie, I'm navigating the domino effect of my daughter Claudia's addiction. So, let me see the take me home feels like my life's prayer. After praying and calling a medical companion, I'm feeling clear I need to set a limit with her, but there is this 
merry-go-around and seeming compromise? Where do I turn when the mind is like an unending maze that has no exit, as this is what it feels like when dealing with an addict? Tough love is something that feels almost impossible without pulling my heart out, as I have done it a few times. I'm working with the Holy Spirit now to hand Claudia over to trust that she's in the hands of the Spirit and not me. The topic of trust, listening, and following have been my mantra this evening. I hand over my feeling of failure and conclusion, and I will listen again in the morning and try again. David Francis and the community, I ask for your joining in the prayer to take me home, and Claudia too. Oh, thank you. Mm. So mm. heartfelt. Yeah. You can really feel it because the, there's so many commonalities, but there's this sense of I, I love, I love my daughter. Uh, there's a feeling of the overwhelm with, uh, in the cases with the addictions or the behaviors that uh, seem to come from the addictions. Um, Carrie was writing, you know, once I see her, like she's, she's sleeping now, but once I see her, it all unravels so differently. Now she's asleep in my basement. It, I hate the impact of addiction on me and my family. And I deeply love her and I want to get off of this merry-go-round. So there's this sense of, of like, these, these behaviors and and what seems to be the addiction of, of my child is, is having like a, str a strain, a drain on me and my whole family. It's, it's bringing us all down. It's almost like it's, just some people are describing the, the pandemic that way, that, that this invisible virus uh, seems to have appeared on planet Earth and, and people are getting sick, people are dying, or even psychologically it's impacting my family. You know, it's, I, I can't go to work, I, I can't uh, function, uh, I can't, it's, it's disrupting my interpersonal relationships, it's messing with my psyche. Uh, I feel desperate at days or frustrated and so on and so forth. So these three questions are all begging for an answer. Uh, just like we, we had Matthew talking up and say, at the beginning his question was, how do we go much deeper? How, how can I go much deeper into forgiveness? How can I go so much deeper into forgiveness that I start to feel the practical relief and the peace coming back into my mind? That I, I've read and I've read for many years, the Bible told me I was entitled to peace uh, the Course is telling me I'm entitled to miracles and peace, and yet I need to, I need to get there. I need mm -hmm. to actually experientially get there to the peace. So that's one of the things I was praying about this, this morning before I came over to the studio. And, and what I was really hearing from Jesus as I, I was preparing to come over was, Jesus was saying, well, you truly do, do need another way to, to look at the world. It's like Jesus was saying, 
like with, let's say with just these addiction questions, with these mother-daughter or mother-child addiction or grandmother-child uh, questions, all of them are very, very similar. And all of them involve this sense of, of seeing the problem as in the world, seeing the problem in the child's addiction, or the child's behavior, or the child's inability to even, Hazel's question, to even recognize that there's an issue. Like if there's so many denial issues going on, I don't have a problem, I don't have a problem, and then, and yet the family or the other children uh, seem to be impacted and affected. But even when I say impacted or affected, you can start to see it still fits back into what we were just talking about, about causes and effects. The drugs, or the, the use of drugs, impacting uh, the, the stability of the family, or impacting my peace of mind. It's, not, it's kind of like saying, wow, I, my life would be so much more peaceful if my child was not addicted to drugs. Uh, or my life would be so much more peaceful if they, did, if they didn't have all these erratic behaviors that seem to be way outside the norm, that seem to be coming from the drugs. I remember years ago, because I, I was into psychology, and also I just had all kinds of questions in my mind about how is this all working, and I do remember uh, asking Jesus one time, I said, you know, can you talk to me a little bit about like drug addiction or alcohol addiction or like a cocaine addiction or maybe different types of eating disorders and, and eating addictions, sexual addictions, you know, it's like in this world we seem to see many different types of addictions. And again, when I asked Jesus the question, he said, well, there's actually only one addiction. And, and I said, well, okay, tell me about it. Uh, that would help simplify things if you, could, if you could tell me what that one addiction is, then that, I, that could start me uh, in a good direction to go towards the healing of that addiction. And he said, judgment. Uh, judgment is the addiction. It's completely unnatural. You weren't created by God to be judging at all. Uh, it's, it's something that was invented by the ego to bring stability into a chaotic situation. So I was like, well, what, what does that mean? And he's like, well, to believe that you could split off from your source takes you from a natural state of mind in the kingdom of heaven of pure peace, happiness, and joy into sheer chaos. Uh, chaos is an experience of separation. Chaos is a feeling experience of, of separation, of, of believing you can separate from your source. And he said, it's like chaos may even be kind of a mild word. A mild, he said, how about devastation? How about, how about trauma? Uh, you know, the feeling that you can separate from your, your Creator is, is absolutely, in a feeling realm, is absolutely devastating. In fact, he said, 
It's so devastating that that's why you made the unconscious mind. That's why you, you immediately tried to push it out of awareness because, you know, it would be like if you, if you grabbed a hold of a skillet uh, on a hot oven and you felt extreme pain in your fingers and in your hand from grabbing this hot skillet and right away you, you released. You did something to alleviate the pain. Well, Jesus said, you, you pushed the trauma out of awareness and then you still perceived a very chaotic state of mind. It's not like the Kingdom of Heaven or Nirvana at all. Very extremely chaotic. And then you had to do something to try to bring some kind of order, some kind of stability into what was absolute chaos. And he said, the ego invented judgment. It, it, it started to invent this thing of categorizing and um, boxing and, and, and trying to organize the chaos in some way. Uh, and it's called judgment. So you invented judgment as the ego, as your belief in the ego, not your Christ self, but the ego invented judgment. And then you started to adapt and adjust. It's like you diluted the chaos, you diluted the trauma, the, the extreme pain, you diluted it with the judgment. And so now you feel like you love the judgment. You're, you're accustomed to it. You know, nowadays you invented learning. He said, all you're learning, all you're learning in time and space is a form of judgment. You, you're still thinking that you can learn with this judgment. That's what all judgment is in this world, is trying to learn the difference between the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, in time and space. You see, that's the bigger context. And so, I said, so the judgment is the addiction? And he said, yeah, that's, that's what's keeping you from heaven. It's not that you should stop judging, but that you never had the capacity to judge in the first place. God didn't create you with a capacity for judgment. The ego invented judgment as a way to minimize the chaos without letting it go. What does that mean? The ego invented the judgment to minimize the chaos while keeping it. Oh, that's sneaky. So, so it seems to serve my mind to reduce or minimize the chaos, and yet it keeps me from knowing who I am. It keeps me from the Kingdom of Heaven. So let's bring it back to the three questions. So what he's saying is the only problem is the problem of judgment going on in the mind. And when you perceive your daughter, Claudia, Claudia's addiction, or what are the other names? Emily. Emily, Emily's addiction, and then um, what were the grand, we didn't, was just the grandchildren? Uh, no, Emily. no, that was Emily with the clan. It's hard for me to keep track of all these personalities, but you know, I, I can remember Christ, but it's, you know, we, for, for teaching purposes, we want, we want to try to bring the names in. When we are perceiving a daughter or a grandchild going through extreme cases, and it seems to be related to drug addiction or whatever, it's like we're looking at the crystal ball 
And the reason that it's difficult is because of the lens that you're looking through while you're perceiving it. That's actually the self-concept, the lens that you're looking through. So it's like Hazel is looking through the, the grandma lens. She's got the, Hazel you've got the grandma lens on and you're looking through there and to, to grandma that's a major issue for grandma because that, that self-concept is rocking. When you're looking at what's going on with your daughter and, and, and her children, there's something in the grandma concept that's going, this is not good, this is not right. And then when you start to feel that feeling that something needs to change here, then you're feeling a bit helpless, like, oh, what? what? What can I do as the grandma to uh, bring the love, the, the peace, the comfort back to my, to my daughter and to my, uh, to my grandchildren. You see, but you're looking through the grandma lens, that's the hard part. So, so really the question is, how can I get back in my mind to my miracle worker lens? Like there must be a lens that's so vast, that's so expansive, that just itself is so beautiful and the lens is so cleaned of all concepts and images that it's so clear that the light can just shine through and lighten up the whole, uh, the whole situation. Not, not just your daughter and not just your grandchildren, but I mean it can light the whole world up. It, it will, it'll light up the pandemic, it'll, it'll light up racism, it'll light up, you know, ethnic struggles, it, it will light up disease and sickness, it will, it will shine such a light that, that you will see that that your mind is healed, your mind is saved. But you've got to come back, you've got to come back deeper, like we were reading in the question at the beginning, of Matthew's question, you have to, you have to be willing to question every concept that you hold on to, because the concept that you hold on to, that God didn't create, that's still an ego concept, is part of that filter that you're looking through. And that's where the pain is coming in. The pain is coming from the self-concept. The pain is coming from the lens that you're viewing the situation through. And, and that's where the healing must occur too, in the mind. So, if you, know, if you apply even the, the four questions of Byron Katie, you would start to, to say, here's what I'm perceiving, it seems to be very painful, is it true? Is it, is it actually true? Is, do I know for certain, you know, that this is true? From A Course in Miracles context, we can start to say, no, that's, that's still limited perception. And, and limited perception, by definition, is painful. It's not the addiction that seems to be in the form, but it's actually the addiction to the self-concept and to the judgment in the mind is where the pain is being generated. And you can see with all three cases, that's the same. Now here's the good part, here comes the solution, which is really what you're asking for. Because you're really asking for, okay, even if I get a, a glimpse of what the, you're saying there, I still need to, 
I still need to go forth in a way that that helps me. I want I want to have this situation and this whole perception used by the Holy Spirit to expand my perception, ex expand my awareness. What if you're looking into that crystal ball, what you have to start to see, of time and space we'll call it, is that these are just symbols and images that the Spirit will now use to help you strengthen in awareness the truth. To strengthen who you really are. Because as I said, when you, when you want, when you pray and you say, I'm giving this whole situation over to you to heal my mind, then Jesus is saying, when you pray, and you are, if you are guided to, sh to speak and to share, that what you speak is what your mind most needs to hear. So, so the answer that you give your brother, your sister, that you give Claudia, that, that you give your, a, a daughter, the answer that you speak is what your mind most needs to hear. And this is where the prayer comes in. Because we were coming over and Francis was saying, so many times you're, you're talking or counseling with somebody and they have so much fear in their mind and it's coming up into awareness and it seems to be triggered by something that's happening in, in form. But there's, the, there's a bigger lesson there with those emotions that are coming up, yeah. those intense emotions. Yeah, and I actually, you know, lately I, w I watched uh, a video, I was talking to David this morning as well, that um, this guy was talking about leadership, true leadership, and he said the closest setup in this world um, to leadership is parenting. And that gave me a whole new perspective about parenting because I don't have experience in parenting, but I know the kind of experience I've gone through in trying to lead. How impossible, how impossible, and, and how much emotions that brought up. Because I remember the first time I came to the monastery, I was given a followership, a follower role, and the resistance, the anger of having to follow someone. And then I left and I came back, I was immediately given a leadership role. Oh, that I don't even remember I could even have space to think about the right guidance that I could hear. The emotion that hit me on a daily basis just by being able to, to say, okay, here I am, because there was so much healing that needed to be go to be gone through for me to even be able to be open to hear. So much hatred was projected onto other people. So so much hatred I perceive was projected onto me through other people. So every day it was, I was I'm hated. I'm more hated by this one. I'm more hated by that one. I had to deal with it on a very, very um, ongoing basis. The reason I'm saying this is because then I realized to, ab to be able to lead, which let's talk about leadership as a way, not only like parenting, but also in the way we handle the world as a whole. The way we can lead is 
to be able to follow something consistent and not lead by our own strength, that our own I know mind. Because we know deep down this is shaky, because then you never can really lead from there. The shakiness is going to come straight back to your face. So you need to find something that is strong and that is steady. So in a way, this is a complete... Um, to say that I'm leading, is, is, it becomes a healing opportunity for me. And it becomes this dedicated follower, follower lesson to truly be able to follow and accept the lesson that comes in following, which is going to be a lot of purification of my own emotions. Because as long as I'm still habitually repressed, I don't really want to hear what's underneath there. Otherwise, I wouldn't uh, repress. I'm not Mm -hmm. able to handle what's wanting to come up. So there seems to be um, a phase of purification of emotions together with this willingness to truly hear, to be self-honest. And then the small voice you realize is always there when you are not afraid to look within. You look within... You first encounter rounds of emotions, rounds of beliefs, rounds of uh, surfacy thoughts, self-attack, attack. But it's just a phase. Then you started to realize, okay, I'm not afraid to look within. Then you started to get in touch with the little voice, and that's what you follow. And also that's what you lead with attitude. Because sometimes when I think about leadership, I thought, who is the best leader that I can refer to as an example. Spirit, in our mind, if you, think, if you think you're the parent of someone or you're the leader of someone, you just have to think, how is the spirit leading you? The spirit leads you with so much gentleness and patience, and the spirit doesn't really feel triggered by what you do. The spirit doesn't feel triggered because the spirit doesn't have hands on the world. The spirit is just saying, I know the truth. I'm forever knowing the truth. And anytime you want to come to me, I'm just going to shower you with love and wisdom. But it is up to you to to turn to me. So when I started to realize that, that gave me perspective on both how to follow, if I know who my parent and my leader is, perspective, and how to, how to lead because you want to lead with truth, with strength, with demonstration. And, um, you know, I, I know that nobody really feel to feels safe to open up their darkness, especially if they're going through drug addictions and depression, to someone who haven't really persist, consistently demonstrated strength or something that they feel safe with. So it's really an internal process for us. And, and it's, um, I actually also watched a documentary, I remember it was about the veterans came back from war, have this PTSD. It was so intense and so intense for their family and the wives. And all these guys are going through nightmares, emotional breakdown, emotional numbing, and they got into drug, they got into disruption of themselves and everything. But then they, they're the ones who seek healing, and the wives are going through all this family abuse and all that. But then when the husbands 
started to heal, they suddenly come back this shiny example and happy. The wives couldn't handle it. They were so mad and so angry because that it's their turn. Like this is that just showed me that healing is not individual, and what we perceive on screen is. The reason they're on screen is is because something is still feeling unsafe to to really look and be able to to bring it back to the mind and heal it. So, like David said, yes, let's. And this is truly the the way we we look at the whole world. Parenting is not different because because the Christ look at the world through a fatherly love. You know, it's 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 the same way. You can be whatever it is, but I am meeting you. I'm meeting you with God's eternal love. That is my only choice. And how do I, how do I shine the love and God? Is my work. So then, in a way, coronavirus, sick, sickness in the body,、um, addictive children, war. They're all really calling for the very same response, in which it's our only responsibility. And if we can see, okay, I have, I have this desire, I have purification work to do. Then let's go. I'm gonna follow using every situation as a way to say, how how do I follow you? Then how do I speak so that I can hear? How do I speak so that I can be with you right now? Then that becomes a universal、um, answer to these problems. Yeah, and clearly, I think from what we've been sharing is that that to believe that you can be confined to any role, a role of a person.、Uh, The the role of a mother, father, sister, brother, daughter, granddaughter, grandson, grandmother, grandfather, all and then all the roles of of professions, you know, counselors and firefighters and scientists and engineers, to be, to believe that that we are any of the roles is the the mental illness is the sickness. In other words. The way God created us, we were created roleless. We we weren't created as roles. We weren't created as personas. We weren't created. the The problem is the filter. The problem is not what is is being perceived through the filter, even though that's one with the problem. But it, the the filter, the ego, and everything that comes from the ego. Is what the mental illness is. If you are created by God as the Christ, and you perceive yourself to be something other than that Christ idea, that's the problem. So, if we start to look in terms of the world, we tend to think of 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 healing as sickness in terms of opposites. Like, for example, with doctors, we tend to think doctors are the healers. And their patients are the sick ones. That's why the sick ones pay the doctors money, something on currency, as the world calls it, because the 
the doctors are offering something that the patient needs. The, the doctors are offering the healing and the patients are paying money to receive the healing. Well, we are seeing the, the health and the sickness in this world of opposites. And what would Jesus say to a doctor? Physician, heal thyself. <laughs> you, saw, you see, in fact, Jesus would say, you can't even offer healing unless you're healed. So, for most of the physicians of the world that believe that illness is physical, you know, viruses, heart disease, blood pressure, you know, all the cancer, all the things that are part of the medical model, the sicknesses seem to be physical and the doctors are seen to be able to manipulate with medicine, treatments, and so on and so forth, the, the, the physical to bring about a removal of symptoms, you know. Let's get you, get the cancer out of your body. Let's get the blood pressure down, you know, let's Let's get the blood flowing through the arteries, you know, so that your heart condition uh, is, is healed. Let's, let's thin the blood and so on and so forth. Well, basically what Jesus would say about a doctor, would say a doctor is just an unhealed healer. Uh, meaning that if the doctor would let go of the concepts of the world, including physician, that's how, that's the meaning of physician heal thyself. It's really saying come back into your mind, come know your Christ self. And once you are able to accept your true reality as spirit, the whole world is healed. Because that was the only purpose of the world was just symbols that the ego made being used to help take you back to the awareness of your Christ self. Christ is healing. Atonement is correction in the mind, and that's the only healing, that's the only cure there is. What is the cure for Corona? Atonement, <laughs> correction in the mind. What is the healing, what is the, the cure for heart disease? What is the cure for cancer, for spina bifida, for uh, hypertension? What is the cure for psychological things? What's the cure for schizophrenia? What's the cure for Paranoia, what's the cure for psychosis? What's the cure for mental retardation? What, you know, Jesus doesn't even care if that's politically correct or not. It's, it's not even true. <laughs> Jesus would said, neither are your politics true. Politics are invented by the ego. Only salvation can be said to cure. Everyone is just looking for what the Greeks talked about, know thyself. Everyone in psychology is trying to find the top of the pyramid, of Maslow's pyramid, self-actualization. Know thyself is, is the cure for everything, knowing who you are. And speaking of knowing, Jesus says there's only one thing you can ever know and that's who you are. You will never know anything about time and space because it's a figment of ego imagination and it cannot be known. You will never know anything you will never find truth in this world because truth is not among the images. You know, everybody in, in uh, legal circles is, you know, tell the truth. You promise, to, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Yeah, you better go silent 
because the truth isn't even going to be spoken in words. It's an experience of the I am nature of spirit prior to time. Before Abraham was, I am. Yeah, you want to know the truth, you've got to go back and remember God. Remember the I amness that you are. So this question is actually starting to point out that the reason there's concern for the children, the grandchildren, the reason there's, there's the motherly concern, there's the concern for behaviors, there's the concern for the impact it will have on the family. All these things that we are bringing up is because there is such an identification with the role and the filter of that self-concept. And that's where the pain is. The pain is in the mind for trying to accept an artificial intelligence, an artificial identity, an artificial concept that God did not create, that God doesn't even know about. That's, the, that's where the split is in the mind, is trying to believe something that literally is not true. So for me, even with psychology and psychiatry, you know, there's the therapist, which is the healer, and the patient. Why do patients pay therapists? Because the therapists have been studying in university for years and they are supposed to understand the mind, how the mind works, how defense mechanisms work. The, the patient is the sick one and the therapist is the sane one. Have any of you ever gone to see a therapist, you know, and then you start to say, hmm, I don't know if either of us are sane, <laughs> I'm spending a lot of money here, but I'm not feeling so much better. Because Jesus would say, well, you're spending a lot of money, but, but as long as you have an unhealed healer, as long as you have a mind that hasn't accepted the correction, the atonement, the patient and the therapist are on the same level. The teacher and the student are on the same level. The leader and the follower are on the same level. The parent and the child are on the same level. And the mind that believes in these opposites that I'm talking about is the mind that needs to be healed. So, like Francis was saying, it's not it's not on the screen, the emotions that come up, that intensity comes up, it's coming up in your mind and it's saying, I need to go deeper in my mind to the kingdom of heaven within to find that peace. And if I want to be even a healer, just even a, use the symbol of a healing, I need to find that peace of mind, I need to find that happiness, I need to find that joy inside myself, inside my mind, in order to heal. Because if I'm just wearing a mask and saying, oh yeah, I'm a healer, you can call me whatever, a therapist, or a doctor, or a social worker, or a Reiki healer, or you know, an energy healer, or call it any name you want. But if I'm hanging out my, my hat, my shingle, saying, I've got a little calling card, here, I'm healing and, and here's my fee, I have to realize that every patient, every client, every follower, everyone who comes to me, is my opportunity in my mind to teach what I would learn. I, 
I am healing my mind. I'm not healing my body. I, bodies are neutral to the Holy Spirit. They're just symbols that get used along the way for the mind healing, but the addiction isn't in the form. The addiction's in the mind. And how do you do how do you heal that? Well, let's say you're a Course in Miracles student and you're you're doing the workbook of a Course in Miracles. Now we're back to what I talked about on Friday night that the inner and the outer aren't different. So if you really want to heal the body, we'll say, let's say you want you have a symptom or a, a pain or something that you're, you're dealing with, a struggle, a suffering of some kind, and you want healing, then if you're doing the workbook lessons of A Course in Miracles, it's saying, well, you have to find the source of healing, and that's the Holy Spirit, because the ego is a death wish. Why would you turn to a death wish to find healing? You're going to have to turn to the correction or the answer, the Holy Spirit, to find the healing. And what that healing is, is simply learning that the thoughts you think you think and the world you think you see are not different. As soon as you bring that false cause, ego, and those false effects, which is the images of the world, when you bring them together, and you bring them all the way back to your mind, then you can do what Eckhart Tolle is talking about, then you can watch the ego. But as long as you're seeing images of the world as if they're the causes, as if there are causative things, radiation, the ego says radiation causes cancer. Ooh, I better get away from the radiation, better get away from the sun, better stay away from nuclear reactors, you know, Three Mile Island and all this and this. As long as we have microbes, invisible microbes, the ego says, they're out there, they're really out there, they're, you can't see them, but they, they're little, they're so small they can travel in droplets in the air, and that's why you better, better wear those masks, better do that social distancing, better stay away, you don't want those droplets, you know, you don't want those microbes to get, they're tiny, but they, they will use those droplets, those moist droplets, they're going to get you, they're going to get you. You see, as long as the mind is believing in an external world of causation, then, then the ego will scare you to death with these invisible microbes. This is going to turn into a corona video here or something. <laughs> I, I went in online today and I noticed people were searching my name with corona after it. I thought, well, I better talk about corona a little bit. Because uh, people are searching, are curious about David Hoffmeister and Corona. Well, I'm telling you, those microbes that you're afraid of, those invisible, tiny, tiny, tiny little ones that get carried by the more, it's all false cause and effect. It's all a make-believe projection of false concepts and false ideas and false images with one thing in mind, to keep you afraid and keep you terrified so that you won't go inside and start to question the belief, the ego belief that made them all up. But if you can hear what I'm talking about, now you've got your mission. Now you're like, okay, I'm not going to let these microbes take away my peace of mind. I am actually going to go back to 
see and question the false cause that made all of these crazy tiny little things up that we call the images of the world. I will go back and examine the cause, as Matthew was reading, instead of all of the effects. I'm not going to be analyzing the effects. I'm not going to be wondering, where did those microbes come from? How did those microbes start? I can tell you right now, it's, it's the ego. If, if you, you better not, you're not going to find the ego in China. You're not going to find the ego in a lab in Wuhan. I'll tell you, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. And yet, this is what the common discourses are. Who's to, who's to blame? Whose who's fault? Who started these microbes? What animals were they playing around with and messing with? Or what, what lab happened and everything? Always looking to blame something in time and space. Doesn't matter what. The ego always says, just find the culprit. Find the source of evils in time and space. But the ego made time and space that you would never look at it. That's why it made up time and space as a hiding place, as a distractor device, so that you would, con you would follow its teachings and always be looking outside for the source. There is no source in time and space. There will never be a source. You will never find the source of cancer in time and space. You will never find the source of diabetes in time and space. You will never find the source of these, these invisible microbes. And right now, I, I was just thinking this morning when I got up, I said, wow, people are really all fired up about this uh, coronavirus and uh, the pandemic. We're down in a studio in Mexico. Does anybody ever heard of the Mayans? Did anybody hear of the Mayans? There was a whole tribe, a whole race over there, mostly on the, the eastern shore of Tulum, you know, over there on the eastern shore, and, and it, in several years the Mayans disappeared from the face of the earth. We're not talking about a hundred thousand here, we're talking a whole entire race called the Mayans disappeared. And then history would tell us that it was, it was those microbes again. How did they disappear? Oh boy, it was those damn microbes. Where did they come from? Who, was it China? No, who was it? Europe. Oh, the Europeans wiped out a whole, you know, no, 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 no. You have to start to see, you can apply this to every, to the, to the great plague. You can, you can dis apply this to the disappearance of the Mayans from the face of the earth. You can apply, you can apply this to anything. Nazi Germany, the Holocaust. You can apply this to Katrina, hurricanes. You can apply this to absolutely everything, whether it seems to be a big weather pattern or it seems to be invisible microbes. If you can hear what I'm talking about, you can start to realize that that's why you need A Course in Miracles or any great non-dual spiritual path. It could be any one of them. But it's all to come inside to have one realization is that the cause is not outside of your mind. The ego is a belief in the mind that's just been hiding 
underneath all the much ado about nothing that Shakespeare talked about. That's why he called it much ado about nothing, is because it's it's all a hiding, a, a cloaking device. Any, any of you like Star Trek? The Klingons, the Romulans, the cloaking device. You know, that's that's what we remember about the Klingons. They had advanced cloaking device. Well, time and space is just like an advanced, seemingly large cloaking device, but it's not really large at all because it doesn't even exist. But but it's you have to see the dynamics of am I going to continue blaming, blaming, blaming? Didn't we read a quote in here? Who was it that oh, had yeah, that quote? Oh yeah, Pima. Pima. That was a really good quote. Pima had, oh, Pima had a great quote. Here it is. Do you see it? Yes. In the fear, oh yeah, I was thinking of this quote as well for the, the, um, the parenting thing. This is the, the core. In the fear of healing, chapter 27, there are three pointers that speak to me greatly because of the n- nature of this ego and the particular darkness it has carried. The first quote you are healed because you wished him well. You wished your brother well. Second quote, your health is a result of your desire to see your brother with no blood upon his hands, nor guilt upon his heart, made heavy with the proof of sin. Third, who then fears healing? Only those to whom their brother's sacrifice and pain are seen to represent their own serenity. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. The one that really jumped out at you, I was reading this morning, your health is a result of your desire to see your brother with no blood upon his hands, nor guilt upon his heart, made heavy with the proof of sin. Mm-hmm. That, that the ego made up the whole world just for the blame reason, you know, just to find fault just to try to get rid. That's what projection is. Projection is the attempt to get rid of something you do not want while still keeping it. But the ego never lets us hear that last part. You know, it likes the first part. The projection is the attempt to get rid of something you do not want and then the ego whispers to itself while still keeping it. It doesn't want you to hear that last part. It's like, pay no attention to that last part. It's, it's saying, oh, you're going to feel so much better if you get that anger off your chest. You know, remember that voice in your mind that, that, you know, when you start to feel this anger welling up, and something in your mind goes, blast them. Hmm. Tell them, you get that off your chest, you blast them. Tell them how you really feel. Don't let them think they're going to get away with it. Blast them. Blame them. And that's what the, that's one of the main ego defenses against finding the peace and the truth of who you are, is this blame mechanism. Remember I said about chaos, that the ego invented judgment to minimize chaos without letting it go. <laughs> it doesn't want you to hear this, the last part. Oh, this will help you. This, this repression, this denial, this projection, it's going to really help you. You're going to feel a lot better. You're going to feel more peaceful while still feeling guilt. 
you're going to, this will be, give you a happy life and form. You'll feel very happy. You'll be like saying, like to teach the world to sing perfect harmony while still feeling guilt. Oh, we have to hear that second part because this ingenious ego has invented a world to try to keep dumping the guilt that we feel in our mind for believing we separated from God, the hurt that we feel for not being, but knowing that we're one with God by believing in this ego, and then to try to displace it onto the world of images, project it onto the world of images, to substitute things of the world that will bring us pseudo-happiness while still feeling guilt. Pleasures, temporary fleeting little things that grab our attention that seem very alluring, that we'll keep reaching for it. Vigo says, while still feeling guilt. We learn, oh we say we have a, a body, now I want freedom of the body. I want to be able to travel the world, do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. I want to be a free body, a free body. The ego says, good, 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 while still being trapped in my clutches. You see, the, it's, it never tells us the full story. It always promises us good, the goodies. But it never, it speaks out of two sides of its mouth. It, it speaks, oh good, 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 and then to itself it snickers, gotcha, gotcha again. So that's why A Course in Miracles is such a powerful non-dualistic path. There are many actually wonderful non-dualistic pathways. The Course is just one among many. It's not, it's not exclusive in any way. But what the Course does is it not only tells you, here's the trick, here's what you believe in, and there's a truth that's covered up by all this trickery, all this uh, deception. And then it starts to tell us and articulate the truth of our being. I mean, that's what it's so helpful. It says, yeah, it's none of this, and, and I love you so, you know. I love you so dearly. This is what's keeping you from knowing that, but I, I love you. Jesus will talk about all the things that the ego doesn't want to hear, and then he comes in with a pep talk. Keep the hope. Keep the fire. Keep the strength. Never give up. Oh, the ego says, you will never ever escape of my big trap. I have invented such an ingenious trap that you will never escape. In fact, you won't be able to work hard enough even to escape. And Jesus says, that's right, you don't have to work hard to escape. All you need is a little willingness. The ego says, no, it can't be so simple. It can't be that simple. No, it's just a little willingness. I love you so. Stop. <laughs> Stop whatever you think. Stop trying to effort so hard. Oh no, the ego says, you will effort very hard to get out of my trap. No, you don't need to. Just a little willingness. Just the tiniest willingness. Just give that to the Holy Spirit and you will escape 
years and lifetimes and generations just by, just melt, melt in, come melt back into the love. So that's what we're talking about. That's why we talk about the holy instant. That's why we talk about the little willingness. The more you think you have to personally do to achieve salvation, the more the ego is laughing. Because why? Because the ego invented the personality and all those personal efforts. That's all a defense against the holy instant. And the spirit's like saying, relax, calm your mind, don't listen to this imposter that's telling you it's complicated. The truth is very simple and the truth is who you are and, and even better the Course is saying you can't mess it up. You cannot mess it up. You can try, you can try all you want but you can't mess this up because salvation is guaranteed. You, the healing of your mind is not something that is in doubt. You can, you can delay, <laughs> you can, if, you, if you keep listening to this puff of nothingness, you can, you can seem to delay it in your awareness, but you can't prevent, you can't prevent happiness from bursting forth into your awareness. You can seem to delay it, but you can't, you can't prevent it. Isn't that good news? You know, to me that's the good news of the Gospel. <laughs> You know, that's, that's why I'm happy, that's why I'm, I am joyful, that's why I'm, I have lots of laughter, that's why I burst off into singing sometimes for no apparent reason. And don't even care whether I can sing or not, but, but it's just happening. But it's involuntary, so it's, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah, and I really just saying how simple this is, because this sentence that you put in there your health is a result of your desire to see your brother with no blood upon his hands. This is so prevalent in, in everything. You know, if we can just even have self-honesty to say that, yes, in your hand I suffer. Because of you I suffer. That is truly, I believe, as a first step to have the self-honesty that I suffer because the body, because my children, because this person, because the coronavirus, because the president. And that's the cause. To have that first realization, that's what we teach us all the time. And then we can remember, but spirit is right here. Spirit is right here, right now. Do I need to suffer right now? And, you know, recently I was thinking, Jesus says if someone, like he has this parable in the Bible, when someone finds the treasure, he will let go of everything in, search for, in exchange for the treasure. And sometimes I really have this parable in my mind a lot, just to remind me if I know the treasure is the little small voice in my mind, it's here, do I want to exchange everything for it? Do I want to exchange this thought? He makes me suffer, this body makes me suffer, that body makes me suffer. Oh, I, I consider what he was saying to exchange everything is all these thoughts in my mind. 
Do am I willing to exchange all these thoughts that I'm holding on to this to this treasure? And this is a question I ask, not really trying to dig and come up with a treasure, but just this question: Am I willing to let go of everything I'm holding on in exchange for this treasure in this very moment? And that's why this quote you put is such a profound. Solution, because if there is no carrier of our guilt externally, there is no guilt. You know the reason we don't want to let our hands go to say I have to hold this person hostage and it's his fault is because if it's not his fault, the ego says then it's yours. But no, no, the reality is when we do not have a carrier of our guilt external, there is no guilt. It was it's going to be an instant release for both. And that is why the curriculum of a course in miracles just have one simple teaching: forgiveness. Forgiveness. Do not forgive your carriers. Forgive your hostage. Forgive the body. Forgive the world. Forgive your brothers. Then see you. There is no guilt. So I, yeah, thank you for for this quote that you put there.、It's、yeah, beautiful. And maybe we also can. While you're with us, Pima, we can kind of do this for everybody. Let's let's go for some of these things that seem to be the big ones in in terms of because、uh, there's no order of difficulty miracles. We should be able to to look at any topic, and you're basically bringing up the death topic.、Uh, you're saying there's a fear of death that has been kind of like a cloud lingering over you. You know, especially as the body. Conditions seem to go down and to deteriorate. You know, then, you know, to the world, it's like, okay, now this issue that maybe children running and playing and on the sand when they're five years old are not thinking, I'm going to die one day. But you're looking at that question now. You're looking at the death, the whole death idea, and you mentioned,、um, I'm also being with the fear of death and having to go through the decline of the body. The grief of leaving my loved one. So let's just let's just take a look at that. Let's just explore this together. You know, let's take something that's a, it's a big theme. Let's not dance around anything. Well, you know, people say, "What's the worst form of sickness?" And I say, "Death. <laughs> Death is the worst form of sickness by far. It hands down, it wins." Well, let's let's go right for the death then. If everybody's if everybody's afraid of sickness, they must even be more afraid of death. You know, people always say, "I can't." When people die, I hear people say, "Well, now they're resting in peace, and now they're back with their Creator." What Jesus says, "No, you don't reach eternal life through death. You you reach eternal life through healing and the resurrection of your mind. You." Reach it through forgiveness. You don't reach eternal life through death. If it was so easy as just dying, then everybody could, you know, would just go for the death option. Well, it's been kind of a struggle on planet Earth here, but I'm going to go pull the string here and go back to my Creator. I'm just going to die. Suicide would be a little more popular, I think, if、uh, if 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 you knew for sure you could reach eternal life through death. So you're bringing up a great topic. Now, let's just look at that thing of decline of the body. Well, Jesus tells us that the ego made the body, and and he says, 
it's we think that the body can die, but it's just like this symbol or this image that gets used for our mind training. So, uh, the mind that can make one body can make another body just as easily. Uh, you know, that's what reincarnation seems to be. Even with Jesus, uh, when Jesus' body was put on a cross and stakes were driven through the arms and the leg and it bled and then they it seemed to die, they put the body in a, a tomb, in a crypt, and then um, it came back. Uh, it was, it came back. Ma uh, Mary Magdalene came to the, the apostles were all locked up in the upper room. I have seen him, I have seen him. They gave her some really crazy looks, like, oh, we always knew something was off with Mary. <laughs> I have seen him, I have seen the Lord. That There was another body that came back that Jesus used for a little more teaching on earth after the first one uh, went away. It, 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 it looked like quite a human body, but it was used for teaching purposes. But the same mind that made one body could make another. Except Jesus, the Urantia book tells us the angels made the second one. <laughs> the angels made Jesus a, oh let's get him a good one so he can a loner. Let's get a loner out there so he can uh, teach a little bit more and, and make appearances on earth even after the, the first body was gone. So the decline of the body is basically an opportunity to see one thing, that death is, is a belief in the mind. To believe that bodies can die is a projection of this death wish onto the body, you see? It's, it's, all it is is taking a concept, which is death, it's just a concept, it's not a reality, and it's projecting it onto the body. Just like birth. The, there seemed to be the birth of Pima, you know, the old slap on the bottom, and the birth of Pima, and then there's this thing in the timeline called the death, the death of Pima. What Jesus tells us, if you really want to look in the workbook, read Lesson 163 and 167. He tells us that death is a belief in the mind. And any experience we have that is not supremely happy is death. Wow, that's a different definition than biological death. Any, any experience I have that's not supremely happy is death. Even, he says, even a sigh of weariness is death. Whoa, different definition there than what I was raised with. Whoa, open my eyes up. Thank you, Lord, you're giving me... So, so what you're telling me is the ego is death. Yeah. The ego is the belief that you're not who you are. The ego is the belief that you're not spirit. So that belief is death. So death is a belief in the mind to be transcended, to be forgiven. Like you were just saying, forgiveness is the only purpose. The only purpose that we have is to transcend the ego, is to see the impossibility of the ego. You were saying that in here. You were, you were saying, I know diet is no answer. And then you were basically saying that you really wish that you could get the lesson. That, that you really have, you're still here. Seemingly, you're still here in form because I should be able to heal this body now and have it laid aside when the time is right. Basically, you're, you're saying, I should be able to heal this mind, 
and find peace and joy and happiness and then I can lay the body aside like with a smile on my face like got it wow I use this body for the for the purpose it was intended to, to just as a device that I could see who I really am uh, and then gently lay it aside let it take its final breaths with a big smile on its face because ah, job well done did it a accomplished Jesus I got it I got it and that of course that's what you want that's why we're here talking right now is because that's that's really what you want in your heart you, you want to be able to gently lay it aside when it has no more use uh, you, you get the lesson you got the final lesson you don't need you don't need more bodies you just need to get the lesson and Jesus is saying it's in the mind that the ego is the death and that releasing the ego is releasing death is that's what resurrection is it's in the mind even with Jesus that was just like a little skit 2,000 years ago the lesson that he learned was a mind lesson for all of us that's why he's the way the truth and the life it wasn't because he 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 was the body was crucified and he said look look humans big trick here look what I did I I'm back <laughs> you could you couldn't really kill me that was just a symbol that you can't you can't kill the Christ it was just like a little skit so let's go at it from another angle you know it's the grief of leaving my loved ones behind I talked about that earlier where Jesus says you have many you know crazy beliefs but maybe the strangest of them all is the belief that you can lose the ones that you love I remember many many years ago I decided I wanted to work at hospice I wanted to work at hospice because I wanted to come really close to death so I could really take a look at it and see what the lesson was so I remember I said okay I want to be a hospice volunteer and they said well you need to do training you need to train you can't just go jumping in hospice wards just jump right in there you have to go through weeks of training to be a hospice volunteer I said okay I got to I didn't tell them I said I have to face death some way so okay I'll do it so I started taking the training so I'm, I'm in the middle of these weeks of training to be a hospice volunteer and then there's another guy a man in there who is he's he's training to be a volunteer too and so I, I sat with him and and I said yeah let's maybe we can go out to lunch what do you do and he said he said uh, I'm, I'm a minister and I'm taking hospice training you know and, and to help my pastoral care you know to, to be more like a chaplain and everything and go into hospice I said great and I said um, well let's go out and have lunch at Wendy's you know let's go have a burger so we go out and have a burger this guy's in hospice training I'm we're both training to be hospice volunteers and he's eating his burger and fries and he says well can I tell you something and I said yeah tell me and he said well the other reason I'm a hospice volunteer is I've been diagnosed with leukemia he said I'm not just here as a minister but I I've been diagnosed as leukemia so I, I, I need to face a lot of things and he said he said I feel real bad but I had to tell you you know I, I've, I've got cancer I've got leukemia and everything so I prayed I thought that's why I'm here I'm here to pray I'm here for healing 
and he's telling me now that he has leukemia. So as soon as he told me he had leukemia, I just closed my eyes at Wendy's and I just am praying and praying. And and then I opened my eyes and I said, that leukemia is in your mind. And he said, my mind? I said, yes, the, the leukemia is in your mind. And then I said, Jesus said through me to the, to the man, he said, is there somebody in your life that you have a grievance with? Is there somebody in your life that you used to love and adore and you're not talking to them? You aren't even on speaking terms? And he was like, his eyes got real big and he went, oh my God, you're talking about my sister. We used to be so close. We used to love each other so much. And I don't even know what happened, but somehow we're not even on speaking terms now. I said to him, okay, here's your assignment. You go, you go home, and you call your sister. And whatever grievance you've got going on with your sister, you, you bury the hatchet. You call on Christ, and you, you get in touch with that love again. It's time. It's time for you to do that. And he said, okay, I will. I will do that. So, next weekend, next week I go for my hospice training. He's not there. He's absent. Then another week goes and everything. And I see him a couple weeks later. And I see him. I say, hey, did you, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you, did you forgive? Did you heal that relationship with your sister? He said, oh, it was the most amazing miracle. I took everything I had to, to call her up, but I called her up and we're in love. We're in love. We're back in love. And I said, and, and what's going on with you? And he said, well, the funny thing is I went into the hospital for, they were going to test my white blood cells and and test, you know, because the leukemia had, had kind of spread, he was telling me the first time he told me about it and everything. The doctors couldn't find anything. The doctors couldn't find anything. The doctors couldn't find leukemia. The doctors couldn't understand what happened. The doctors had, were like, oh my, what happened? Like, that they, they could not locate the leukemia. The leukemia was not located. This little parable I'm sharing is, is telling the parable for the point that, that everything is in the mind. And everything that relates to like leukemia, like cancer cells and destroying the cells, is a reflection of the grievance. That grievances hide the light of the world. That, that only grievances block the, the knowledge of who I am, that only grievances would block the miracle, that only grievances block healing. Instead of asking about the coronavirus, or instead of asking about the, the decline of the body, or the body's systems, instead of asking for all those things in form, in time and space, which is effects, we have to get back to the forgiveness. And so, for me, to me, that was so beautiful that I didn't even, I was just going to hospice and that interaction I had with this man, this minister, was powerful for me because Jesus was teaching me, again, teach what you would learn, David. 
that healing is of the mind. And, and don't just say the words, you know, let me speak through you, let, let it be a blessing for this man too, that he can discover it for himself. There's another thing that I had to discover during my time in hospice was that, that everything is a decision in the mind. So when I finally finished my hospice uh, training, and I was allowed to go into the hospice ward, everything, I got there and I was my joyful, happy self, the light of the world, On now I'm on a hospice ward. The light of the world is, seems to be uh, coming through David on the hospice ward. And so, hospice, as many of you know, is the place where people go, you know, to, to have an assistance uh, for dying. People go to hospice when they've been diagnosed and, and they get through the later stages. So now I'm on a whole ward where the people on the ward seem to be in the last stages of their earthly life. And I, I'm, I show up, I say, what do you want me to do? They say, well, bring food into the patients and if you feel you want to sit with the patients and if you want to uh, bring comfort, uh, if they need a, a blanket, if they need a pillow. You know, you're there to just be of service as a hospice volunteer. And I said, great, great. So, I go there and I, they say, take a, a tray of food down to room number seven. I say, okay, I can do it. So I go in and I go get the food ready and I'm going down to room number seven, except I have to walk through, walk past the other rooms. And as I'm carrying the tray, I'm walking by the room and I hear, pss, pss, come in here, come in here. I'm going to room seven, come in here. So I go in room three, pss, wherever the sound came from, and I go in there and I have this powerful holy encounter with whoever it is in room three, as I've got my tray for room seven. And I come there together and we look into each other's eyes and they start pouring out their heart to me. And they're saying the same stuff that you're saying in here, in your question. What the grief, the grief about, I, I can't bear to see my, my daughter suffer, or I can't bear to leave my husband behind, I can't bear the, the sight of my family when they come and seeing their faces and all the tears. They're basically pouring out. When I get called into that room by them, they're there to pour out all of their guilt, their shame, their grief, like dump it out to the Christ. They're pouring their heart out and, and you know what they, their fears, their doubts, their, their feeling of loss, their feeling of grief, and all of them were saying in some way, shape or form, I'm afraid to die because I still am dealing with this and this and this and this. And I would just join with them and let all the love of the Christ beam through me, through my eyes and my smile and everything as they poured it all out. I would allow them to pour everything out that they were concerned about and then they would look at me with this glow, and then they would look at me, and I would say, now go to the light. 
go to the light. And I would go back off with my tray of food to, to room number seven. Well, as I started volunteering at the hospice uh, ward, an interesting phenomena, this kept happening every day. I was joining in these holy encounters with these people who were at the, seemingly at the end of their life. And after they would meet me, guess what would happen the next day when I would come into the hospice ward? They're gone. They checked out. They checked out. Mission complete. What is mission? You are innocent. You are guiltless. You did a great job. You are loved. You are not letting anybody down. You did magnificent. You are loved. You can be grateful for everything about your life. And that's what I was either verbally or telepathically conveying. And then I thought, that's why Jesus had me become a hospice volunteer. And you see how, how different that is from the world where the world is so concerned about saving lives and preserving lives and extending lives. But what about the content? What about the emotions? What about the innocence? What about the spirit? It's all about the spirit. It's nothing about the body. It's nothing about these characters that we, that were made by the ego, it's all a backdrop to teach only love, for that is what you are. So I was like, oh, that's why Jesus had me with that, that minister who said, who opened up, even before we were on the hospice ward, he opened up and said, I have leukemia. I've been diagnosed with leukemia. Oh, that was my opportunity to teach only love. That was my opportunity to strengthen in my mind what the truth is. And then when I got out on the hospice ward, I got, I had the highest checkout rate of, I think, any hospice volunteer in the history. I don't know what my rate was over two weeks, but I, there's a lot of checkouts. Because there was a lot of holy encounters, and there was a lot of mission complete. Job well done. You are innocent. You are guiltless. You are eternal. Go to the light. Oh, that's what they were, re they were ready to hear that. You get a smile on their face. Go to the light. That's not what my, my niece was saying. That's not what my child was saying. But you're telling me to go to the light. Unambiguous. The truth. That's what shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. It's not compromise. People-pleasing doesn't set us free. False empathy doesn't set us free. Guilt doesn't set us free. How, how willing am I to not play the game of guilt anymore? To say, I am innocent. I am a child of God. And I love my Creator. <laughs> I'm not afraid of my Creator. I am I am happy to meet and join with my Creator. But it's a strange condition on earth where people 
practiced religion for all these years and decades, and then when it comes down to what they perceive as dying, they're afraid of dying, and, and yet everybody says all along, you, you, I want to meet my Creator, I want to meet my Creator. Everyone's talking about meeting the Creator. Then when it gets down to the, the final days or the final hours, it's like, well, why? Aren't you happy? Don't you? Aren't you ready? Aren't you ready right now, this very instant, to join with it? Even my biological father, you know, he he went into a coma, and I mentioned, you know, that I've mentioned before that when my sister and my mother said, "Come with us to intensive care," I went to intensive care, and even though he was in a coma, he came right out of a coma for me. He's like Dave, <laughs> coma. Dave, you know, he, it was almost like a reflection in my mind, like the body can't stop us, our love is too strong. You know, he, a coma is just a decision in mind. And all these conditions that we seem to experience on earth are just conditions and choices of mind. Choose to be in a coma, choose to not be in a coma, choose to be sleeping or waking. You know, choose to have these symptoms or those symptoms, or no symptoms. Decisions. So, this is a great adventure, and I'm just so grateful, Pima, that you, Pima, you, you have poured this all out. This whole page is you just pouring yourself out and saying, here's what's going on for me. Let's join together. And I see you smiling, because I'm smiling too. It's like, we're not getting fooled by this ego anymore, you know. That's, that's not our purpose here. We're here to rejoice and be glad in, in love, in true love and true forgiveness. So, your, your smiling face is there for all of us. And, and your, your transparency about what, was, what you were dealing with is, is your willingness. This is your little willingness put on the paper. You see, and you see how that was all that's all we need. You, your transparency and your willingness was for all of us. And it's, it's actually helping us learn a lesson that it, it definitely is for all of us. Mm -hmm. It's truly for all of us. Because there's only one of us, really, in truth. And, and that one is, is ready to receive. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you from all of us. Thank you. Thank you from Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all of us. Yeah. Oh, precious. And thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to open it up. I see all these faces here. We've been, we've got a lot of good, you see any more here or should we? Well, we have Ingrid, we have... Oh, Ingrid. Ingrid, Ingrid from Colombia. Yeah, I think, I think we should do that one. There's Ingrid. <laughs> Hi, Ingrid. <laughs> Beautiful. Hi. Well, Francis has told me a, a bit about you in the whole context too of, of you and and wanting to come come on up to La Casa and come to Mexico. And so she was filling me in with a lot of the context. And I remember bits and pieces of it. And then and then what you wrote, uh, there's some things that just jumped off the paper when we were reading what you wrote. It was very important. You want to... Should I read? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I would love to dedicate 100% to spirituality while doing what I enjoy, and I have tried to do it with no success during the last 10 years. There's always a problem, especially related with money or lack of opportunities to do it. A year ago, I became a life coach. I quit my job because I wanted to persuade something meaningful to me. It has been a year and a half and still have not been able to do it due to lack of clients and opportunities. To me, dedicating my life to learning and sharing the highest truth is what I love. I love traveling, communicating, and also have a technical background in film and television. Unfortunately, I've never been able to work in any of those fields. I've always had to take jobs, and I don't enjoy it because of the need of money just to survive. So I have asked many times to Jesus to use me, and I guess his reply has been, nothing in the things you like. Emoji. But I recently heard David saying now how Jesus uses our boxes or preferences to help us wake up. And I want to know what's avoiding this to happen in my life. I always have tried to give my best in every job, even though I was not passionate, however. I do feel frustrated most of the time. It's like if I had wings, I couldn't fly. I guess my prayer is to be able to keep expanding love in all areas of my life and also be able to do what I love while I'm doing it. And my question is, if these types of jobs are forgiven, is probably is, is these type of jobs are forgiven lessons? Oh no, if those types of jobs are forgiven lessons or projections, what am I doing wrong? What am I not seeing? Second question is, I have felt Jesus has told me this current job I have right now is only temporary. How do I know it's the Spirit's voice and not my ego talking for this case and for every situation? And third question, how can I stop living in the linear time? Is this something available only when purification has happened or is it given by the grace of God slash Spirit? Big hug. Mm <laughs> oh, that's great. That's just what Pema was doing. You just poured, poured your whole heart out, all of it, and just everything. Well, it's interesting, Ingrid, because uh, you know we're we're down here in uh, Lake Chapala area, as you know, of of Mexico, and um, we did a retreat in March, a week long retreat. And then I think the second to the last day, uh, a, a woman, Tanya, was sitting in the front row and, and we were sitting up front and as we came in to watch it, I could see Tanya, Tanya's face was like she had something that she was just going to burst if she didn't share it. And then she did, you know, put her hand up and she just shared how she's involved in film and television. <laughs> and how she, her husband is as a director, as a, as a movie maker, he's made uh, documentaries. Uh, he works for Televisia, the largest television station in um, Mexico. Mexico. And she just poured her heart out that she was a script writer who had written a number of scripts that were never actually sold, but, but mainly it was this huge thing like she she felt like 
she's got something important that she's supposed to do for the plan or for the Holy Spirit, for Jesus, and she has this whole context of she's in the business. She's in the film and television business. Her husband is. Her friends are. You know, they are, you know, I, I guess in L.A. you'd say that's Hollywood down here and they're in the, the business uh, down here. And then she wanted to do a one-on-one -on -one with me and she wanted to talk to Francis and she just poured out her heart that, that she was just afraid to even speak it because she feels like she's wondering, been wondering what the purpose of her life is. She said, I had no children, and she said, I, I feel like I'm here, but I don't know what the purpose is. But, but through our joining, through our prayer, through her being as transparent as you have been, she poured out that uh, I can't do this alone. I, I need to join for this. There's something important that I'm supposed to do. And I don't know what it is, but I know I can't do it alone. So when she's poured that out during the retreat, I just was sitting there and I said, I join you completely. I will join you completely in whatever it is. And she was, ah, oh, lots of tears and tears and tears. Like, oh, I have a mighty companion joining me. And what has unfolded from that too is that we've been having uh, calls. Uh, with Pilar, who's on our, Pilar's on our uh, retreat right now, doing the translating for us, and, and a bit with Tanya doing some translating, Aurelio, her husband, and we are in motion to do a, a five-part uh, series uh, of maybe, was it 50? 50 minutes 50 long. minutes about long. Happiness. About happiness. Uh, maybe for Netflix or for something. You know, it's just begun. And already in some of our, our calls, it's starting to get a little technical about uh, cameras and uh, equipment and things, even at the ground at the very beginning. So when I read what you had written, I said, I think, I think Ingrid's a part of a part of this. <laughs> Ingrid's got, got a background in this and the skills that have never been used. Not been used yet. <laughs> because all skills are developed in the ego framework, but then the Holy Spirit and Jesus are just waiting, waiting, waiting to use everything that we believe in, including skills and abilities, for the Great Awakening, you know, for the ways that offer a huge blessing. So, that was the strong feeling I had when I, when I read your, uh, what you'd written, is that, that there is a connection, a collaboration, and it may, it, it will obviously unfold at its own pace, because with Corona and shutting down <laughs> airports and everything, we have our digital calls and connections, but I was really feeling uh, that you're involved, and, and actually our last call, that's what Francis was mentioning, the, the topic of Netflix came up for the movie, Take Me Home, and then Renata writing in, that was a strong witness today, and so they are actually talking with their friends and everything, and, and, and have viewed a copy of Take Me Home, and there's talk of collaboration, maybe with this five-part series, and maybe even a Jesus movie. Uh, 
maybe even a real profound uh, Jesus movie, but with your skills in uh, television and film, it felt like that's what you were saying, like instead of looking back and saying, why haven't they been used, Jesus always has us stay in the moment, stay in the openness, be transparent, pour our prayers out, and then he says, oh, as for the future, you leave that to me. You give that over to me. And he's always telling me, don't look back. Don't look back. There's nothing you're going to, only the ego looks back. Just stay in the, here I am, Lord, the Bill Thetford prayer. You stay in the here I am, Lord, and then watch me orchestrate time and space for you, for your mind, to realize the truth, you know, to come to, to the atonement. So, that's part of our joy is, uh, it's joyful for us to read this, because when we read it, we're thinking, oh, Ingrid, ha <laughs> that, ha, that would really be helpful, because actually, as you've learned, that Francis and I, our experience in film and television, it's grown a little <laughs> bit, <laughs> but it's all been a Jesus experience in, in uh, film and television, really. It's not like a, a professional experience, and when it comes down to cameras, and they were saying, what, how, what cameras do you have in your studio? Well, we can ask Pete, but we thought, maybe we need some more assistant. Ingrid can, <laughs> can come in there. He's like, yeah, don't lay all that stuff on me, that technical stuff. I'm just a sweetie waking up to God here. You can, and, and you've got some of these skills already, so. So anyway, we can unmute you. Maybe this can be our launch into hearing from, from some of you, but what is, how does that feel to you? <laughs> well, actually, I'm, you know, very um, touched by all this experience. I just got a, a, a hold with Francis, I think, last week. And, and just, I was thinking uh, before all this, Okay, I, I guess my, my question is, is too uh, worldly because I'm still talking about jobs, you know, and, and ego-minded. But I, I just feel so humble right now and so loved uh, by Jesus. And I just want to thank you for this experience. Uh, and I'm very happy just to be here and to be joined with you. Uh, well, about film and television, let me tell you, that was something that happened uh, 2007. So we're talking about 13 years ago. So basically, I already forgot everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So because this was a, actually a scholarship that I won while I was living in Canada. And it was, that was one of the first miracles that I felt that happened in my life. Um, my parents had just gone bankrupt. And, but by that time, my, my faith was very strong. But I just, the time of the Course of Miracles hadn't arrived to my life yet. So it was like a dual faith. Like, uh, you're going to do this for me and, and that's it, you know? My relationship with God wasn't so pure, I guess. <laughs> but the fact was that in 2006, I was like, okay, God, you know, I always uh, have thought that communication is, is the key, you know? like. I see media nowadays with this coronavirus and I say, well, they will be of great use if we 
use them for the holy purposes, you know, instead of just projecting so much fear and, you know, and making people so scared. What if we use them for holy purposes? So uh, I won this scholarship and it was like a real miracle. Like, you know, I barely knew English. My English was like very bad. So I had to write an essay and, and, and write the reasons why I should deserve this scholarship and everything. And I did and I won it. So this was like, yeah, like I said, 13 years ago uh, in Canada. And then uh, I came back to Colombia, always trying to open doors, you know, to trying to uh, do this. And it, it was not possible, you know. Uh, I, there was a point where I said, you know what, like, I think this was just a mistake because, you know, uh, I'm pushing it so hard. And, and, and that's it, you know, I just quit uh, in 2010. I think that was my last attempt to, to try to, to work with media. And it never worked. So I just, you know, got caught up in the world, you know, doing what I needed to do to survive. I also study international relations and political studies you know, and always trying to see how can I fit into God's plans, you know, <laughs> like, maybe it wasn't that, maybe he made a mistake. So maybe I'm just going to study international relations and political studies. And then last year, I became a life coach. And, you know, but always with this deep desire, you know, and that's why I was asking about the purification as well, because I feel like my deep desire is just to, you know, to be used and to extend love. And in this retreat, I have seen that I have many blocks still to love, but uh, it's funny. It's funny that all this film on television is coming up again, because to be honest, I forgot everything. When you say about camera, I just forgot, you know, it's been 13 years. However, my passion is writing. So um, I think uh, I will be a good script writer, you know? Uh, in fact, when I was studying in Canada, I won uh, the third place for the script writing, even though it was English, my, my second language. And I shot a video, a short film called The Truth About Darkness. So uh, now that I see it, it's not too good. Like, I don't feel very proud of it. <laughs> so, no, it's not good. Like, when I was watching your video, I said, God, you, you always do everything right because, uh, like, for example, that documentary, you know, is perfect. So what's the point of film and television? Nothing. Yeah. It has nothing to do with this, you know? It has nothing to do with the world teaching us to do a film. So when I saw that video yesterday, that documentary, I was like, wow, you know, so amazed. And, and yeah, just hoping that God uses me. And of course, I still, and I, I was very honest with him during this whole uh, weekend. I was like, but I have to be honest. Like, I, I wanted to do it in something that I like, in, in something that I feel that uh, I'm connected, you know? And I think film is one of the ways, writing, I think is amazing. Uh, for, for me to be able to be joined with you and to be able to, to see how you uh, take advantage of films and series to wake up people's mind, that's just amazing. Because all my life I have thought, you know, movies are like such a great uh, way to join us, to wake up. If we just do it more, you know, like same with media, you know, when I sometimes I watch, I also love journalism. And sometimes when I see interviews and I see that an interview is a way of making 
you know, your heart just pour out as well. I see we need more of this, you know, and, and well, I'm just so happy to be able to talk to you, Francis and David and, and I'm here, you know, to you, I, I, I'm not too good with the technical because I forgot it already, but if I can join you with script writing or directing or, you know, I don't think I will be as good as Francis, <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but uh, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here and, you know, anything I can be of help, please, I am here. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Ingrid. And, and right away, when I'm just hearing the guidance of, I, with your passion and where you're right at right now, where your heart's at. Um, next month, we're going to be doing a, the same thing we're doing here, a weekend retreat, except we're going to do it with Espanol. Uh, I think it's June 19th to 21st. So, yeah, I would invite you. We'll have uh, Linda send you uh, the link, and I would love you to be part of that. Um, because we have, it's going to be wonderful exploration, what we're doing right now, and, and yet, it, because you're in Colombia and the, the, the bilingual skills and everything, there's a momentum and a need in, in, for that too. Uh, because we're just watching how Jesus uses this movie, and, you know, with The Course in Miracles, you know, there's more copies sold of Incursa de Milagros, the Spanish, than the original English. Uh, there are, you know, it's just taken off, and and uh, we were just uh, laughing the other day because Frances was pointing out. She said um, she came to me and she said, you know, the largest, three largest Spanish-speaking countries in the world, and I said, uh, well, what are they? And she said, number one. She said number one, Mexico. Number two, United States. <laughs> Number three, Spain. Spain. And then I just said, wow, Mexico, United States, and Spain. And then we've just given our lives over to Jesus and, you know, shining our light and traveling for me, 44 countries. But then I went, wait a minute, where, where did Jesus have us start centers? Mexico, Mexico United States, and Spain. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is all part of a plan. And so your passion, your heart's devotion, your willingness to open your mind, to be shown the way, and also the bilingual is, is very, very helpful. And, and television, we're, you know, we're getting every, every year, every week, we're getting deeper into an area we, frankly, we are novices. <laughs> We're, we're enjoying these, uh, these mediums and these ways, but, but it's all for us um, quite new. None of us have uh, backgrounds, or, or we didn't, I didn't win a scholarship, Francis didn't win a scholarship, you know. <laughs> you know we, Francis talks to a, a, a documentary maker in Australia, in Australia but, but you know, for you to actually have written the script and, and made a movie and it's all there. You may say you've forgotten it, but listen, if Jesus wants to use something, it'll, he'll pull that right out, that memory, as if it's as fresh <laughs> as, as can be. I stand, I sit on stages and speak sometimes to hundreds of people, but I, all I was was a shy guy from Cincinnati uh, <laughs> who didn't go on his first date till he was 27 years old. 
And then Jesus says, oh yeah, well, yeah that's perfect. You'll be a mouthpiece for me. What? Uh, Moses stuttered. Moses was, he had, a, he had a, a speech impediment. Moses had a speech impediment. And Jesus says, you're the one for the Ten Commandments. And Moses is like, <laughs> but you see, we're just willing. It just shows you what that little willingness to Moses. He was like, well, I do have a little willingness. I'll get the staff out, and if you say you're going to speak the Ten Commandments, okay. And for me, it was like my parents always told me, "Listen, just do what you want to do in this life, but just, just please." If you're speaking in public, never speak about God or politics. Uh, please, don't embarrass us. Uh, and then, you know, you have to be willing. If you have a little willingness, that's everything. And I feel that. That's what you're saying is, I'm showing up, I have willingness. And, and so I, I would love it if you could join us. That would be our first splash together. You can join us uh, June 19th to the 21st. And any of you watching out there too, if you if you like it, you want to learn a little Espanol and yeah. and hear a few more parables. There you go. We don't prohibit people from doing these retreats back to back. You're welcome to do that as well. But thank you. We love you. We love thank you. We're so you. glad, Ingrid. Thank you. And that opens it up for Eric to take a look at any hands that we have up anywhere sprinkled around the screen. Anything you want to ask, anything you want to say, anything that inspired you about the movie? Because uh, uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, yes. Charlotte. I, want to, I want to thank you for your expression because I, I heard after we finished the session yesterday, you raised your hands but we didn't, get to, we didn't get to you. So I'm glad that you could pour it out on paper with your expression and how the spirit actually used the movie to, to give you these uh, little hints. Yeah, and the movie, the movie got you here, right, Charlotte? The it movie was, trailer. The, the movie trailer, did you see a movie trailer and then that's how you... I saw the trailer. I don't, and I don't tend to remember how I come to things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I saw it and I... I thought I need to see this movie, and I was looking everywhere. And I, it would have been wonderful if it was on, if it was on Netflix. I would have uh, gone into it right away. But I know that um, I needed to see it in this context. But I, um, I, I laugh at just how I'm guided to things, and um, I don't know. I forget even what I wrote about in that email. But I, I wanted to share. Um, did you get my? I sent an email. Uh, just about uh, sort of the, the synchronicities that happened for me over the past week and um, there was a um, I had a dream recently and I've been going through some uh, things with my boss at work and I realized a number of things about it but I had this really uh, horrible dream of her uh, driving a car and catching on fire and I I woke up and I was so horrified by the dream 
that I made myself sick and I ended up that I spent the day in bed and um, my husband came, uh, came over to my room later in the day and he asked me, um, cause I told him about the dream and, and he made the, the connection between me feeling awful and sick in bed and, um, and, and this dream. And he said, you know, you, you, you have to give yourself permission to forgive yourself um, for, for having that dream, for having those thoughts. And then something clicked and I thought, Oh my God, I, I, I'm looking at this completely wrong. And I realized what, what that dream was, was just me, my suppressed toward my, my supervisor at work. And um, so over the course of the week, I started to receive messages about boundaries. And um, uh, so, you know, for me, it, it comes up in different ways, but um, in the context of boundaries, I, I've been reading a book by Elaine Aaron called The Highly Sensitive Person. And um, I put the book down and um, I meditated and I heard that, oh no, you need to keep reading that book. And so I picked it back up and the next section was on uh, boundaries and how um, we create these containers around ourselves, uh, container or containers of comfort. And then I called my mom and I was talking to her about my issue with my boss. And she said, oh, well, maybe you need to set some more boundaries. And that, so the word boundaries came up again, but I was confused. I thought, well, this doesn't seem like it makes sense because I don't know that Jesus would want me to create more boundaries. Um, but anyway, the, the word boundaries stuck. So I, I was feeling a bit confused. And then um, a really funny story <laughs> Um, some of the ways I receive messages are through um, numbers, either uh, the Holy Spirit will set alarms in my phone or I'll see um, digits reappearing and I, and I intuitively know where to look. So I, um, I had this, this, these numbers come up and I punched them into Spotify and this podcast episode called I Hate My Boss came up <laughs> and it was... Um, Again, for me, just like a literal interpretation of what I was feeling. And I listened to the, this podcast episode, I Hate My Boss. And again, boundaries. They were talking about boundaries in the workplace. And uh, so I was still thinking about boundaries and how am I going to address this with my, with my boss. Um, and then um, where am I going Boundaries. Sorry, this is so much happens, right? And and it's all within like a short period of time. Uh, and then and then a few days later, so I, I had a discussion with my boss, um, and it didn't go so well. And she was uh, really um, uh, she was really upset with me. And we ended the call, and um, and I was feeling unsure about everything. And then my husband came to me with. Um, and it's not, it's, it's not that he really knew that I was thinking about boundaries or this was going on. He showed me this YouTube video with uh, Stephen Hawking and Neil deGrasse Tyson. And they were talking about the, the no boundary proposal, um, which is a theory, a theory of the physical universe that uh, there, the universe has no boundaries. And that's when it started to click for me. Okay. I, I think my inkling was right. It's not about having more boundaries. We need 
fewer boundaries. And I was thinking about this with, in the context with my boss. And so I find that the timing of this retreat and watching the film was really um, timely. It was really funny because um, it really, um, it was, it, it helped me to reflect on what was going on in my situation. And um, the quote, this quote, sorry if I can refer to it, I wrote it down here, um, what came up in the movie for me. What is on the other side if we dare to cross the boundaries set by our roles? And that just was like, whoo. <laughs> so I was thinking about <laughs> me and my, my supervisor in the context of um, our our worldly roles and um, and uh, it's just, it's amazing because and actually before, before the movie I, I skipped a part but I, I ended up having a conver- a really deep conversation with her about um, about boundaries and about our uh, roles and she admitted to me that she puts on this front um, because she feels she has to be this professional she has an idea of what it is to be a professional and and that this putting on a, a professional or like a front is how she thinks um, how it's best to relate to her staff. And anyway, um, we had a really great talk and I got some things out and um, we're, we're able to move forward. And I, I have a whole history with her. We have, um, before I came to the course, I had an, an amazing uh, forgiveness lesson that happened with her and I was so naive because I thought oh this is wonderful all is forgiven and we and I'm just you know this is done I move on but what I I was I was naive because I didn't realize that um it wasn't over like I I still the both of us still had things to work through together we have a very um a seemingly complicated relationship um I know it's not what it seems but um anyway it's this has all been a great uh, great for my learning and uh, just, I'm really grateful and I want to thank you uh, so much. I just wanted to Beautiful. share that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. As you're talking too, you know, I'm, I'm thinking too that of all if my travels around the world and all the times people have brought up, like they'll read different books and have different experiences where there seems to be some kind of helpfulness in uh, in boundaries, but they don't know how that works with the Course, or how that would work with Jesus, or how that would even work with guidance. And so, you know, I could almost do like a, a whole week retreat uh, just on the topic that you're bringing up. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people here watching too that have said, yeah, that's, Charlotte's asking, uh, my question, like I've always wondered, like how, how does the Holy Spirit work with boundaries? Mm. What's the helpful use? Because obviously the ego made the boundaries. The universe, as you reflected with uh, Stephen Hawking's, that doesn't have boundaries. The quantum field in physics uh, doesn't have boundaries at all. It's, it's energy. It's all connected. It even scared uh, Einstein. He called it spooky action at a distance, you know. So, so he had a question underneath, like, about the boundaries. But I'll just say in a synopsis that, that actually, you know, you can still understand it all through the, the concept of guidance uh, that Francis and I talk on and on about, uh, because it's the most practical topic. So 
Maybe that'll be it. We'll do a weekend workshop, uh, a weekend retreat just on guidance, and then we could incorporate a lot of the questions around the boundaries. Because I think, for example, with parents, that's something mm -hmm. that comes up. Like, uh, like they say, well, Jesus it, it had a lot of great things to say in the New Testament, but he didn't have kids. Uh, it would have been interesting to see uh, how he's handling uh, with his love your neighbor as yourself with, some, with a two-year-old uh, who's going, no, to Jesus, you know, no, eat your, eat your oatmeal, no. You know, and, but actually, Jesus has given me so much over these last few decades uh, because I do meet parents, mothers, fathers. I've even had spiritual communities that have had children in them, and I've I've had the the children at times pull me away uh, from the parents, telling me that their parents read the course too much, they're too intellectual, they're no fun anymore. They they used to be fun, and then they got the course, and then they they got to be the most boring people on the planet. Uh, and then they felt neglected. They thought that people, all that parents do is they read the Course and talk about the Course nonstop, uh, 12 hours a day. They don't play, they're no fun anymore. So finally the kids grabbed me, grabbed me to the side and, I, and they said, uh, we feel neglected and, and please help us. So then I started, I was working with the parents and then I was, did a separate <laughs> uh, ongoing seminar with the children of how to train their minds to impress their parents so much with their minds and the power of their minds that, that they would really get the parents' attention. That the parents were reading the Course because they were really wanting mind training, but they were associating it too much with the words and not enough with practice, <laughs> actual practical application. So I work with the kids to train their minds to be so powerful and so strong that they would then come to the parents and they would say to the parents, uh, the children would say, try to tickle me. Uh, try to make me laugh with tickles. And they had trained their minds so much through working with me in meditation that the parents tried to tell them jokes to make them laugh and then they come zoomed in and tried to tickle them under their arms and everything like this. And these little bodhisattva children were like, that the best you can do, you know, they, and then the parents became more interested <laughs> suddenly in the children. So there's, there's ways to deal with common everyday uh, situations like parents and children seem to have a lot of conflict. But if, if they are willing enough to train their minds and they're willing enough to open to the purpose, which every, we all share the same purpose, there's amazing, miraculous ways that we can live together um, in, in egoless ways. Uh, and, and then as we become more egoless, then the need for boundaries, the need for, for guided boundaries, I call them, they're, they're actually just guidance from the Holy Spirit to help uh, during the mind training. That's all boundaries are. It's the Holy Spirit and Jesus' use of, of boundaries that's the most important thing. It's not trying to look at the topic as, as something is in and of itself, because there is nothing that exists in and of itself. But the Holy Spirit's use of boundaries is, is actually a super fascinating uh, topic. So maybe there's others who are watching that, that will uh, leave some notes on the chat if you're interested in, 
in a, a guidance uh, <laughs> retreat, we, could, we would be happy to do that as well. I, I'm sure it would be most fascinating. Uh, but thank you, Charlotte. Thank you for your transparency. It's beautiful. We've got quite a few hands up. Would you like to take some, some more questions? Sure. Yep. Sure, sure. Hey, I'll go with uh, Susan Carada. Go ahead, Susan. Hi. Thank you so much for this wonderful weekend. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to share an experience that I had this morning, actually, of Jesus rearranging space and time. <laughs> and um, I had every fourth Sunday of the month, my husband and I volunteer at a meal site and prepare and serve a breakfast for hungry people. And uh, this morning was supposed to be uh, the morning for us to go. And we hadn't gone for several months because a service group had um, been filling our slot. But we were going to go this morning, and we were joining an, another couple who do it with us. And the man wasn't going to be there because he was going to have surgery tomorrow. But the three of us were feeling fearful um, because you know, there's over 100 people there, and they don't wear masks because they're going to be eating. And, you know, the whole coronavirus um, fears that are among us. So the three of us had trepidation about it and, and really did not want to be there um, with a full heart. As my husband and I were pulling out of our alley in our car, there was a bike in the alley blocking our way. And we're wondering what that was. And I looked over and there was a, a man hiding behind a garbage can, taking a crap. <laughs> and it was his bike. <clears throat> and so my husband started to get out to move the bike, and the man jumped up and pulled his pants up and um, started swearing at us and walking away. And obviously he thought we'd stop to judge him. And when he realized that that wasn't why we stopped, it was because his bike was in the way. Then he turned around and he came and he got his bike. So, you know, we greeted him um, for a good day and thanked him and, and left. And I just became so overwhelmed with a feeling of love and compassion and forgiveness for him, for me, for all of us, for our humanity, um, just in all of the ways that we uh, degrade our lives, choose pain, and live in fear. And uh, I was just overwhelmed with that, and I arrived then at the meal site with that fullness in my heart. And when we got there, we discovered that there was another family, an older couple, <clears throat> I think with their grandchildren there, who were setting up the breakfast and were planning on serving. 
And we said, oh, we, you know, we thought it was our weekend. And they said, no, you know, it's, they do the fourth Sunday of the month. And that they've been doing this for 17 years. Well, my husband and I have been doing it on the fourth Sunday for the past three years. And our friend Anne has been doing it on the fourth Sunday with us for the past 10 years. So we just looked at each other like we're in the twilight zone. <laughs> and asked if they needed help and they, they didn't. And so we left. And <laughs> it was just like this miracle. But the miracle was <laughs> that I came away realizing that I can continue to do this meal site, but I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to be afraid. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, but I don't need to be there. <laughs> I can continue doing this, but I don't really need to be there. When I'm feeling so happy, the whole world's in a new dimension, and there are a lot of other mighty companions in my new dimension. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's darling. That's so sweet. Oh, thank you. That is delightful. That is delightful. That's a miracle experience. Yeah. yeah. You don't even have to question it. Like that's why I say you can't figure the world out. That's definitely a don't try to figure the world out uh, experience. And Susan, are you from uh, Minneapolis? Yes. Oh, you're the yes. one who are going to host us next weekend with Tina. <laughs> so that's... Uh, that's uh, well, this, this was wonderful. So I'm yeah. sad I didn't meet you in person. Yeah, that's wonderful. Jesus truly arranged time yes, and space. Yes, yeah. This is our how it's arranged. And so we're... Thank you for the, our Minnesota experience. Uh, that was delightful. That yeah. was, wasn't that a nice trip to Minnesota there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, sweet. Okay, we've got another question from... Oh, where did it go? From um, Nirzari. Go ahead, Nirzari. Hi. So, uh, first of all, I would like to thank you, David. Uh, thank you, Frances, for having us here. I, I want to thank Linda also. She's there listening to me. Thank you so much for having us at this retreat here. And uh, as uh, Charlotte was sharing, you know, I came across, I came, became present to the synchronicities that I experienced. You know, I, I keep watching David's videos to, you know, understand the teachings. And that's how I came across this Take Me Home retreat video. And I thought that how wonderful would it be for me to attend this retreat and watch the movie. And uh, the next day I'm receiving a mail from uh, Linda that, you know, you are invited for, for this retreat. And I was like, wow, amazing. You know, it's like, you know, just I had a thought in my mind and it is manifesting. So <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, I had a few questions before I came, uh, entered into the retreat and I wanted to ask something during the retreat also. Somehow, you know, before I could question you, you know, I, the questions got answered, you know. Uh, I am a mother of a child with uh, uh, autism spe spectrum and uh, genetic disorder. And I had a question that, you know, how to understand that 
from the course perspective somewhere you know when i listen to the answers the answer that david gave for the you know the drug addiction and all somewhere you know i also got present to a lot of things in my life so my questions were answered without even asking so thank you so much i am experiencing so many miracles i am experiencing so many synchronicities and i i, I really thank to uh, thank you david for this amazing experience that i am having in my life you know it's it's like literally you know i am having miracles in my life i am experiencing healing at another level thank you so much oh beautiful oh, thank you and what part of india are you uh, coming to us from Mumbai. Mumbai. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, you're in our hearts and and it's thank you for sharing that because it that's a common thing where we just let the questions come and then bing bing the light bulbs go off and many people say that 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 their questions get answered, but just it's your willingness to just be there and participate and and Linda's message and yeah she's smiling Linda's right here smiling <laughs> as you're talking so uh yeah I'll relay that to you <laughs> Thank you Thank you Okay next we have Janice go ahead Janice Hi Um I don't know how much more I can add. I had questions when I came into this, but the the video was just beautiful. I can't even tell you how many things it covered in that. And I can still feel I slept so well last night. I'm just I deal with body stuff, so I use that as the addiction as I'm listening to David speak. Um and you know how to really i feel like i'm at the edge of walking away from it completely um so this was like a turning point for me to really every single time in my mind i find it's it's that it's that deep now every time in the mind that i go to what can i do to fix this i come right back to no this isn't for me to fix and it's just been and this weekend you know this reality shows are nothing compared to this one <laughs> that's the first thing i thought of <laughs> um it was just done so you guys did a beautiful job uh, you know for your first film and it was just perfect it flowed so beautifully um but every um i could Res- I could uh resonate to Sorin Sorin is it um you know because he was so blocked in his expression and I guess that's the one thing that I always struggle with is saying what's really on my mind because I've walked away from too many relationships I mean I've gone I've gone for them but I don't stay in them you know um so that would be you know that that one piece that i'm missing as well is you know and you know it's holding back the words holding back the words um is the struggle and it's not just in a relationship i think it's with family too it's um a way that can i trust this person to do something with my words or to 
react to my words in a positive, more positive way or loving way, but I'm not trusting that. So that if you can speak to, you know, how to trust, fully trust that, that would be great. Beautiful. Well, thank you for that question because that, that is a, such a practical question and, and I think even uh, for people, Soren talked a little bit about that, how it's been an ongoing uh, thing. When, when it's a, a deep-rooted pattern, there can be a, there can be, we call it people-pleasing sometimes, but uh, it's like this, this false identity, this personality identity is quite shaky uh, because of its, its false nature uh, and, and therefore the need for approval or the need to be uh, well treated and so on and so forth can take a, a priority in our mind versus, uh, versus the authenticity, versus the, the allowance to, to let those emotions up and ultimately the trust that the, the spirit can use it. Because uh, a, a lot of us have swallowed our words, or we've, we are very careful, we've been very careful in trying to hold back our words or select a few words so as to not put ourselves in what we believe is a, a vulnerable uh, position with, with friends, with families. And so it's a version of what Jesus calls true empathy, of really staying in your mind with what's what's real and what's true and it's also a version of the workbook lesson I will step back and let him lead the way um, we we may trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit with uh, aspects of our experience on earth but not sometimes with all of our experience like sometimes when we think about giving a relationship uh, to Jesus or the Holy Spirit we have a little hesitation or maybe it's for some people it's with finances like alright Jesus you can you can handle my, here's my body and here's my relationships, you stay out of my bank account uh, that's that's mine. <laughs> you know where there's certain aspects of our perception of ourselves where we feel that we can handle it ourselves and I'm so glad you brought that thing up about uh, uh, when the urge comes about to fix something uh, and, and, and trusting and saying, no, no, it's, I need to hand that over or I need to, to allow that. But with speaking, that's, that's another aspect um, of, of allowing the Spirit to use words to bring us to right-mindedness. So, uh, in relationships, and I know from my experience of living in community, that's been a, a key topic of the, the helpful use of words. We can't just assume that, that words are something that we can, uh, that they're our personal choice of, of which words we want to use and not use, uh, when to speak, when not to speak, uh, when it's helpful for words and not. And um, for me, that's been a, a, something that I've watched progressively uh, used as part of the healing, from being shy as a child, shy as a teenager, shy in my 20s, and then getting the Course, starting to have miracles, my heart starts to open up, I'm starting to 
feel more connected with God and then the, the guidance comes in now, we're going to use words, we're going, to, I'm going to use your body and your lips to, to speak the words of God. Oh, you know, wow, I didn't see that coming after 30 years, now, now it's going to be the Holy Spirit's use of words. And he said, yes, words have to be, the miracles involuntary, you need, you need to practice praying and just connecting with me and joining with me, Jesus said, and then if there are words to speak or what those words are, I will, I will put them in your mouth, I will, I will speak through you. So it's just another part of transfer of training. And like with Soren, you know, he was in a, he had his life, then he was in a spiritual community over there in Europe, and then um, for whatever reasons he was saying he felt very, that it was a lot of fear uh, with his first community experience, and he really closed down. It was almost like uh, Closing down around communication and, and kind of isolating is kind of like the mind concluding, wow, that didn't go very well. Uh, that relationship or that spiritual experience community did not go well at all. It, the mind can then say, okay, I'm going to just shut down. Because the ego is the fear of miscreation. The ego, you know, is brought up this whole thing of miscreation or misuse of mind. That's like the original issue with the fall from grace, from the belief that we can separate from God, is God gives us creative ability, you know, as spirit, and then the belief that we've misused that beautiful creative ability brings up guilt. And that's what's underneath the closing down, that's underneath the, the hesitation around words. That's, that ultimately is the authority problem, the, the, the belief in separation is, is like the princess and the pea, that's the pea underneath all the mattresses that's down there. And so it's beautiful that you're on this journey now and, and you're starting to realize that like, wow, with my relationships and my, my use of words, I want to learn how to trust more, which means I want to learn more to connect with you, Spirit, and then I want to allow the words to, to come from you, uh, to, to be coming from inspiration, to, come, to bring a blessing. That's what those red letter words in the Bible, I always used to get through the Bible and get to the back of the book so I could see the red letter words of Jesus. And I loved reading the red letter words, you know, I was, I, I was like, oh, filled up reading. And then it dawned on me at some point, wow, I think the reason I liked those red letter words was because it was, it was so loving. They were just speaking from the presence of love. They were like radiating the presence of love using time and space, using words. And I thought, oh, that would be fun. I would love to learn how to do that <laughs> so that the words could be inspirational and they could be a, a blessing instead of uh, for conflict and competition and struggle, which are all egoic uh, use of words, you see it's like the right use, the, the right alignment. So I, I feel like that's your prayer is, is 
is learning that you can trust the Spirit and, and learning that if there is anything to be said, uh, that, that a prayerful heart uh, and, and that feeling of trust and connection is, is what needs to precede it. Uh, much like with the, the woman, was it Sue who just talked previously? Susan. Susan was saying that after she had that experience with this man in the alley, she just felt so much love in her heart and then when she went to show up uh, where they were preparing the meals and with these people, she just, it was a great symbol for her that uh, they were preparing the meal and they were even telling her that we do this every, every fourth, fourth weekend, you know. It was, it was very miraculous, almost just how effortless it, it was. And when we're in that filled up state of mind, of gratitude, uh, it seems like everything flows so effortlessly. We're not even, we don't even have to be concerned about what words we speak or don't, because we feel involuntarily happy. <laughs> uh, and that's really what the goal is, you know, with this uh, mind training. So thank you for sharing that, and I just would encourage you uh, yeah, we have things online on our livingmiracles.org. We have a clarity uh, process. Expression. Expression sessions. We, this is so core to everything that we teach that we have a lot of tools and instruments. Everything from an app on the phone, the Spiri app, that mm -hmm. helps clear away the interferences to a uh, 12-step uh, instrument for peace. It's part of online and part of the books. And we have this clarity process which is is actually a, a process of, of communication that has been so helpful for us, and we're happy, that, so happy to put it online. Uh, yeah, because it's useful. Because that clarity process is like a guideline to to have everybody hold space for each other. Because deep down, you know, the reason that we don't feel we want to censor our words or filter it, holding back is is this safe? Is this safe? underneath it is that am I safe to share and just to see it for ourselves so it's that clarity process is definitely it's definitely a, a process to to go through that because I recently it was so funny I was um, just thinking about you know every single thing in relationship I, I saw a video they're saying even in relationships everybody seem to think they're wanting a really good harmonious relationship or a life partner but deep down they just don't they just want to feel safe because the moment their deepest um, emotion that they haven't healed or haven't looked at is triggered then there was immediate protection going on immediate protection so it's like so automatic and now I watch this uh, stand-up comedian Jerry Sanfield, I mean, for Americans, you know who yeah, he is. Yeah. But he haven't been there for the, the last, I don't know, 20 years, and he came back, married man. And he said, I realized after I got married that the tone of voice that I, I always used is not okay <laughs> in my marriage. <laughs> that tone is wrong. <laughs> Somehow I didn't know that all this career life. <laughs> but that was just saying how sensitive, how sensitive a tone of voice, a little, but deep down there is this un, unhealed wound that 
that we feel we need to protect or we need to defend. But no, with you know, we want to gradually learn how to how to let it out, how to be how to let this be healed. You know, through through being in a very safe environment. So that uh, clarity process is is uh, is a step. Yeah, yeah. It's all. It's really all just designed to to make things to make it move along in a helpful way, because it's there's just the way everything is always working together for the good, and and there's always a, a bit of a rinsing and a washing of these self-concept and identity roles that that we have clung to, that we have believed in, that we have believed they're who we are, and sometimes with in our families and friends, even though uh, Mother Teresa, Byron Katie, a lot of the great teachers have said, deal with what's in your surrounding, deal with right, what's right in front of you, <laughs> kind of like Jerry Seinfeld getting married, oh, a wife. <laughs> Well, that's a new experience. <laughs> There's a mirroring going on with the wife, and then the tone of voice. It's always triggering. <laughs> that sarcastic tone of voice, that is not acceptable. Okay, all right. Well, you see how it, it brings an inquiry right away. Like, if there's going to be harmony, I'm going to have to go inquire on this. And I think about movies in our Movie Watcher's Guide to Enlightenment, like What About Bob? You know, Richard Dreyfus is the, the therapist, the, the leader, right. the healer, and then Bill Murray is Bob. And uh, Bob comes in uh, and, you know, Richard Dreyfus is a therapist. I'll be generous. I'm going on vacation, but one more, one more patient. That's okay, one more patient. And then that one more patient is going to be the thing that's going to unravel that therapist self-concept. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit just sends in Bob uh, for of a strong therapist uh, self-concept, <laughs> and it takes a hit, uh, starboard side, <laughs> big hole in the side of it, and it and yet it's a comedy movie because it's the undoing of the self-concept, and sometimes we need to laugh at it on the screen instead of having it. <laughs> be our partner or our, our co-living people, you know. It's a little easier to laugh at it on the big screen because we laugh because there's something that's joyful about that dismantling. There's something, there's something funny about loosening from what we took so seriously, the mask, you know, the, that we held so strong and so firmly and put so much energy in. It's something, there's a lightness, a humor of, of washing that away. So, so it's beautiful that we have so many opportunities and, and it comes at us from so many different angles. And that's where all you have to do is hold the prayer and then uh, let go of this idea that we personally have to do something. Because that's where the heaviness comes in, when we personally have to believe we have to fix something or improve something or change something. It's that old mentality that, that actually is the block. And then when we just pray and say, okay, there's my prayer now, I'm just going to watch the healing show up, then that's, there's something much more light about that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Beautiful.
Okay, next we have Corey. Go ahead, Corey. Hi. Um, it's great to be here for the first um, first time again. But I just wanted to share a, a, a brief sort of synchronicity that happened yesterday after um, the movie. I decided to take um, a walk around town and a couple... Um, I like that you were bringing up Wizard of Oz <coughs> references um, because a couple years ago... Um, I live in Chicago, um, and a couple years ago I learned that not only did the author of um, The Wizard of Oz live in Chicago, I found out his house is right across the street from me. And not only that, but he wrote the book while living there. Um, and that sort of blew my mind. And on my walk, um, I'm looking, and they have a new plaque up that maybe just came up a week ago. <clears throat> or something that I didn't notice, and it says, there is no place like home. And they changed the the bricks in the sidewalk to yellow bricks to make it like the yellow brick road. And it dawned on me that the, you know, the name of the, the documentary is um, Take Me Home. And <laughs> in, the, in the artwork, there's a yellow brick road leading to a heart, you know, symbolizing love. And I just thought, damn, like that's the perfect time to see that is right now, you know? <laughs> strong. That's yeah. Strong. That's some strong symbols. And also I didn't know, you know, I've lived here for seven years. I I didn't know that it was written in my neighborhood. <laughs> oh, that is oh, so beautiful. beautiful. Thank so, you. Yeah. yeah thank, thank, you. You. thank you for sharing. Cascading miracles, another synchronicity <laughs> for us all. Beautiful. <laughs> okay, next we have Wendy. Go ahead, Wendy. Hi. Hi. Hi, Wendy. Hi. I just want to say how much I love you guys. My heart just goes out. I feel so connected. This whole weekend has just been a beautiful weekend for me. Um, this week I was going through, I'm kind of online with um, Kirsten's I Married a Mystic. And so I've been reading that and listening to that. And so many times it came up for me, well, it, I heard the word, need to fix something and I said now if I hear that word one more time I will raise my hand and talk about that but um Jesus was saying to me there's nothing that needs to be fixed it's already fixed and you can relax and it's very simple and just enjoy so I just wanted to say thank you for all of all of your beautiful sharing. And when I would when I would um, think that something needed to be fixed, I would remember what the promise that Jesus said, it's already done. And if I didn't think I saw it in the 
form that I thought it should be in, then I would get tired and exhausted and think, oh, I need to make it better. But I realized that it's not about the form, that it's already been done. And when I see it, God says it's perfect the way it is. And um, that it's already been taken care of. Thank you. That is a lovely thought. Thank you. That is a lovely thought. That is the most peaceful thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go with Bo next. Go ahead, Bo. Hello. I just wanted to say. Thank you so much um, for this retreat. It's the first time joining with you. And um, thanks for speaking to the question that I wrote in yesterday. And um, just wanted to acknowledge you and um, your dedication. Um, you know, it's interesting. Movies really speak to me. And I speak a lot about the messages of awakening and movies, they've always spoken to me and there was no accident that you basically referenced the matrix in your first two sentences in responding to me and, um, and yes, man. And, um, and these movies really speak to my heart. Um, and this movie, take me home. Um, so beautiful. Uh, and you know, I, I, I found the trailer to the movie and clicked on the trailer and speaking about movies moving and the beginning of the trailer, there's just instrumental music playing and there's a shot where it's the winding road and I just started crying and I was like, Oh, I guess I'm going to this retreat. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, the course in miracles, I, I, I was introduced to the course in miracles as we all are in, an, in a beautiful way. And, and um, you know, that teacher used to just say, it's all perfect. It's all perfect. And um, I was, it was really powerful today, um, the way spirit spoke through you, David, um, especially about when you were answering the question of the grandmother or one of the women of like, oh, you're seeing it through the lens of grandmother. And um, I know this intellectually probably makes sense for a lot of us, but this idea of, you know, I work on the wound until I stop looking through the wound of Bo. You know, that like there is no Bo. I mean, in reality, but as long as I keep looking at anything from the personality of Bo, you know, there's usually going to be some wound attached to the story of Bo, because there's always a wound attached to the personality. And, um, I'm just grateful for the lesson I received today of, of, of the reminder of who I really am. And it's scary to think about letting go of the, because the thing I don't want to admit is I love the story of Bo. You know, my old teacher used to, my, my old teacher used to do the metaphor of like, 
we we all say out loud, oh, I don't want to feel pain or I don't want the drama or I don't want the anger at my relatives or, and he used to use the metaphor of the little kid who winds up the little wind up box and they look really petrified and then, and then all the dun, 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 and then boop, and then pops out the, and they're terrified. And then the first thing they say is again, you know, and it's like, you know, it's hard to admit that I love the terror. I love the drama and, um, and letting go of the attachment to Bo and all his, you know, and um, so again, I'm just grateful to have experienced um, your deliveries, Francis and David, and I'm, a, and I'm look forward to where spirit directs me with the course and you guys maybe. And, um, and I'm grateful to remember to look through the lens of my true identity as Christ and not Bo. Oh. <laughs> when I look through the lens of Bo, it's just immediate knife fight. <laughs> that's it that's it you that's said it. it you said thank it you thank you and just your just your name Bo is since we're we're both we're movie buffs you know yeah I hear Bo I hear Bo Bridges and then I think immediately of Jeff Bridges and then I think of all these amazing movies you know Tron and The Giver and da 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 it goes on and on and on just one name can be associated with happiness and gratitude for all of the the symbols that were used by whatever the movies and and books and whatever and music to expand the mind so yeah maybe we'll uh we have a wednesday uh movie uh every week and we we get online like this and we watch a movie together and we have a bit of a setup, and sometimes pause it, and I interject a lot of uh, of commentary, and very healing. Even the last one we did was so many. Not a dry eye in the house. Uh, what was it called? I can, only, I can only imagine. We had to have the Kleenex. Well, tissues were flying all over the place as this forgiveness movie was going. But I can certainly relate to uh, you just allowing the spirit to use something you like, movies to uh, bring this amazing healing in. And that's why I always say Jesus uses uh, what we're drawn to. He, he knows exactly what will reach us in the best way and the way that we can wake up. So thank you for, for sharing all those little tidbits. Those, those really, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you, Bo. Thank you. Okay, well, we're at about three hours, and we still have got three hands up, so I just want to check in with you guys. Yeah, let's, let's have our final three. Okay. <laughs> we'll go with Heine. Go ahead, Heine. Thank you, Eric. Uh, I would like to take this opportunity uh, to thank uh, David, Francis, and Linda who gave us this opportunity to be on this retreat. And I would like to share our today's experience. Uh, as on last retreat, we spoke about you know, sp uh, spreading David's work. So we, today, uh, we started that. We launched our first movie gathering with our fellow uh, light workers, our uh, group reading uh, club. Like we are around 10 or 11 people. And we 
did the frequency movie and it was so wonderfully received by everyone and the response was really overwhelming and i would like to thank you for this retreat too it's you know without even asking so many answers i got now all the question i had in my mind like about death about addiction so i got all the answers i mean it's so overwhelming and i would like to also share that we are here in mumbai india me and nerzari and we want to spread your work here and right i mean like yesterday you know the you know the word you know caught me like clueless we are clueless so we are completely <laughs> completely <laughs> depending on uh, the holy spirit to reveal us how you know we can take this forward thank you so much thank you thank you thank you that's good i think our friend is tarana still in from mumbai too i don't know whether she's from mumbai but india somewhere yeah i think she lived in delhi but i think she was in mumbai when kirsten uh kirsten went over to uh india and she went to mumbai and um so we had a friend tarana that that met her there and and uh she got to meet a lot of people but we'll stay in close communication here and what a lovely movie to 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 start off with uh, frequency uh yeah i get passionate when when these movies uh, come across my my mind because the spirit just comes through so strong because it's yeah i it feels like we're collapsing time so all the things that we cover in the movies and then just this weekend um you can for all of us the light bulbs are just going on in our mind and that's a fun way to wake up uh because it seems it it does seem a little faster when uh the answers come even before you can can raise the question then you know things are moving in a the real celestial speed up <laughs> so thank you so much and we love you and we're connected with you and we'll stay in close contact about how we can bless send the blessings out thank you thank you Okay, next we have Esther. Yay. <laughs> I wanted to um share with you that my mother listens to the Trust CD every single night and um it puts her to sleep and she loves your voice and some of the things and and she wants to meet you and I was I'm clueless about how to make that happen. She doesn't have internet and um to have one more bill to, for me to take care of just seems overwhelming to have to take care of her internet bill. I can do it. I guess I'll do it, but um I just wanted to put it out there. And also, um my mom always tells me how much she loves me and it's really seems unconditional. Um and I I think in terms of um how I can communicate with her some of the things that you talked about with um I just want to have a conversation with her that to when, like when she was in a slight coma with her diabetes in December I just would make sure she was kept warm that the nurses couldn't keep up with her movements and um also to tell her that she's that all is forgiven I would just whisper that to her and I would massage her feet so that she 
not only she experiences tremendous pain when I massage her feet, but I know that I just felt intuitive to just keep massaging her and, and she came out of it very quickly. Um, but that, that she and I have a relationship where I would go to the hospital a lot and, um, she would always come visit me. Even one time she came and I said, you're not my mother. And she just, it was a long distance for her to come. And she was like, okay, you know, I know that I, she, I put, gave birth to her. I know that, you know, it's nothing, nothing that's going to phase that her love for me, even me saying that. And I told her that I said that because I didn't want them to know I was getting better or something like that. But that was anyway, but, mm. but, um, that it's all about the spirit and it's nothing about the body. She's, she's 84. Um, and we're kind of preparing everything so that when she dies, I'll be taken care of in some way or form paper wise. And I just want to, we've been having conversations together more deep, more deep. Like before it was just, Oh, how are you doing? What are you doing? You know, where are you? And sometimes we'll actually have a conversation and I really want to have a conversation with her about these topics that you're explaining. And um, I just want some guidance into what to say so that she can, that our, that our um, relationship is complete uh, when she does pass, because I was able to do that with my father. And I feel that when she tells me that she loves me, I don't always say back that I love her. And I just want to be authentic with that. And if you have any um, insight into how I can um, just stay in tune with the guidance with our relationship because when she's with me and we're doing activities, there's a role that sometimes comes out because there's money involved and she doesn't understand the costs and things like this. And, and so I'll, I, I, I sometimes get caught in the role and anyway, so yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Beautiful Esther. But, and thank you too for, you wrote in a, a couple uh, questions for us beautifully. Uh, I wanted to just touch on, on one of those too and kind of tie it into what you're asking now. Because you were also talking about how since you've been 11 you've been involved in the Ramtha teachings, uh, Jay-Z Knight, and how that's been a very important thing in your life. But the question again was around communication, like was about sharing uh, some of the teachings and and doubting about whether you could and, and so on and so forth. And it's the same, I think, with your mother, where as you just pray and you get more and more focused on being truly helpful, you know, like that prayer at the beginning part of the Course, I'm here only to be truly helpful, the more you give your mind over to that, it's more like you naturally flow into your miracle working function. I think uh, Miles also raised up because we happened to, to put the word natural in front of guidance and Miles wrote in, he said, tell me more about this natural guidance. And I, I was joking with the studio before we started, I said, oh yeah, we'll have to do a workshop on organic guidance and we were all laughing. Because you know, all the, just the words get associated with things, but, but in terms of Coming into your natural peace, your natural wisdom, your your natural connection 
with spirit, that's your miracle working functions. And you know, like others have spoken, that when you start to slip more into Esther, the daughter, um, or even the time recently at a movie gathering when you were talking about how much you loved your father and how it was only kind of, it was more in Esther, Esther the daughter looking at, you know, the how you seem to shut down or go have mental problems uh, right about the time that he died. And it was, it was hard to process as part of that, you know, Esther the daughter you know, as for all of us, it's a shocking. Death is a, is a shock to the system. It's not natural. It's not a natural idea. But I feel like with your mother, like now you're, you're getting a beautiful opportunity to be very prayerful, like you were intuitively massaging uh, her feet uh, when she was in the coma. You're getting more and more opportunities to just go inside, what feels really loving, what feels very connected and helpful, and, and that's a practice uh, of, of learning to be spoken through uh, when you feel in that love and that connection. And uh, of course, we're, it's not about trying to say the right words, because like you said, you know, when your mother says, I love you, maybe sometimes it doesn't come out, I love you back, or I love you, it, you know, it's it's still you get connecting with that love inside of you, with your miracle working function, that's the most important thing. Uh, then it will become more natural for those words to come through in a way that feels very healing. It doesn't feel forced or it doesn't feel like you're getting, you're getting caught up into something and having to say the right thing. Um, Oftentimes, in dealing with, with a parent, you know, their issues come up, questions come up around money and finances, uh, around physical, what seems to be physical symptoms, and um, sometimes in terms of, of the role can slip in so easily. And that's where the, the, the contraction comes in, that's where the tightness comes in. And so I hope my little parable too of my hospice uh, trip uh, experience helps out too because when I was going in there, fresh out of reading the Course, fresh out of just feeling all this inner love, and then going into a hospice ward from that, it, it, it wasn't speaking from any kind of a role. And, and really that's what your mom is calling on. She wants to hear your higher self, our shared higher self, she wants that to come through. Maybe that's why she listens to the, the trust CD, because she can relax in that. So you're just practicing little by little at, at really being in the prayer of your heart, and really being in that surrendered place of, use me, I'm here to be helpful, because that's how you are helped, you know, in that, through that seeming relationship with, with your mother, it's just, that's your crystal ball, that's, that's your appearances, that's what has been given you to use uh, to expand your mind. So thank you, we always, uh, we love you so dearly, we appreciate you and um, yeah, just from last Wednesday too, uh, 
Spava was saying to me, she said, oh my God, every time Esther, Esther comes on the screen, I just look at her eyes and I see uh, such uh, sincerity and such love and she is just so touched. And so that's it, you're, you're fulfilling your function, this is your miracle working function. And, and yeah, we'll see, we'll work out something for mom too, <laughs> so we could have a, some kind of holy encounter. Maybe it'll have to be, you and I do a, do a little uh, Skype call or a Zoom call or some kind of call uh, when, you're, when you're visiting your mother, so I can say hi. Beautiful. Thank you. Love you. Mm. Beautiful. Well, last we have Christy at our co-living community. Go ahead, Christy. Thanks, Eric. Hi, David. Hi, Francis. Hi. So I'm really grateful that now there seems to be a deepening of trust and devotion to God. And even when there's seeming to be a problem, I often am simultaneously feeling in the solution. And there's also a prayer of the heart to be um, used as you're just talking about. And then with that, what's coming up is like the heaviness on my heart and like needing to expose like where the unwillingness is. And like I see there's such an attachment to the story of like a person living in the woods in Minnesota. <laughs> And just see some unwillingness there. And I want to give it over so I can fully be used. And if you have anything to say mm. about that, be grateful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. Yeah, it's, it's the bold steps that we take really through guidance just are, are symbols of loosening us from this, this sense of the past. And, and for all of us, there's been some sense of familiarity and, and we have, have some strong associations with the story. And, uh, you know, like you, you're speaking now, and just maybe ten minutes ago, Bo was saying, you know, wow, it's, it's a, it's a fight whenever, whenever Bo comes in <laughs> to the picture again. You know, so so we are hearing like a, a symphony of that's the prayer of the heart, to to be loosened up from that. But I like to think of it as it's just a reinterpretation. You know, it's it's like the course says, you know, the Holy Spirit will use your special relationships. The Holy Spirit has great use for your special relationships. And there's even 
a part of the course that I really love where uh, it's basically saying that the Holy Spirit will not take from you that which you believe is important in the sense that, that whatever was made by the ego, the Spirit treats the mind, the Christ mind, the powerful mind that even believed in the ego with such respect, with such care, and that the Holy Spirit would never take anything away. In other words, the Holy Spirit is, is offering us the opportunities to experience miracles so we can start to feel the joy, feel the fulfillment, feel the safety, like Francis was talking about. And, and as that safety and that, that, that trust and faith grows and grows, then it's almost like things disappear from our awareness without our knowing. Uh, you know, it's like we, we don't even miss it. <laughs> we, we don't, it just disappears. And so I think that's always important, that just your devotion is so important and your dedication is so important. And that's what I want to highlight. Uh, I, I want to highlight the dedication you've had and, and I don't want you to feel that you really need to put a focus on, on the unwillingness. You're just asked not to hide it and protect it. So you coming up to the camera and speaking it, you know, is just showing your willingness right there. It's a testimony to your willingness. And it reminds me uh, of a story I recently heard of uh, Ramdas, uh, who was over in India. Richard Alpert goes to India, Ramdas, and he's with his guru Neem Kurli Baba, and and he, oh my God, he's just hushed. You know, some people know the story with the LSD and the in the suitcase and <laughs> how you know Neem Kurli Baba's go get the suitcase and he's terrified and then he knows there's drugs in there and open, the, open it up and then put all these LSD pills, <laughs> a, stack, a whole group of them onto his guru's hand and then the guru swallows them all in, in one, only to just stay there smiling at Richard Alpert, you know, Ram Das. But the part I wanted to share was, after spending all this time with his guru in India and learning all these things, um, his guru told him, he said, it's time now for, you know, it's time for you to go forth. I want you to go back to America, go back to, to the West. And, and Ram Das protested. He said, oh no, you, no, you, no, please don't send me back. Don't send me back. I, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Uh, he said, I, if you, he said, oh my God, I'm so, I have so much to learn and I have so many imperfections and I just, please don't send me back. Please don't send me back to the United States. And they said, the guru named Curly Baba gets up slowly after Ram Das does his little speech. And he walks up to, to Ram Das and then slowly he walks around Ram Das, the guru, looking up and down from his feet to his head. Is looking, looking, slowly, and then the guru goes back and, and sits down, 
and says, I have examined you very closely. I see no imperfections. <laughs> and that's, when you think of Jesus, that's, that's, just think of that, you know, it's, it's not, the Christ doesn't see the imperfections, the Christ doesn't see any unwillingness, the Christ is just there with so much love and so much gratitude, like thank you, thank you for every step you've taken, thank you for all the willingness that you've had, thank you for all those little willingnesses that you've offered, thank you for who you are, and that's what you should focus on, you know, keep, keep your eye on that, keep your eye on, on the love, on the beauty and the innocence and know that we are all so very grateful and so grateful that you've, you're with us, that you're sh shining your light, you're sharing with us and I know that you just want to be used and that's coming of course, it's, there's nothing that can hold that back, so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow, beautiful. Oh, thank you so much for this weekend, <laughs> for mm. everything. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a joy. This is our uh, our joy. We love we love sharing and we love extending and we love connecting. And so, yeah, talk about going by in a blink. <laughs> <laughs> we we really lose track of time with these uh, experiences. And and I always love seeing your faces. Peter's flipping through all the the gallery of all the smiling faces and the waves, Anna waving and all of you, Francis. And yeah, that's, that's probably, that could, could be like our, uh, our uh, motto. Uh, with all these kisses and waves and hearts that we have, uh, there's such a love and such a blessing and then even for those that, that feel difficulty handling that, kind of like the uh, the few good men uh, slogan from Jack Nicholson, you can't, can't handle, handle the, the truth. truth. <laughs> but it's, but there is so much love and, and, and eventually even the, the resistances and the reactions, they start to melt away and yeah, you actually start to feel like, wow, hearts, hugs, kisses, blowing kisses, you know, it starts to feel more and more natural. One time, a number of years ago, somebody called me and, and I, my mobile phone, I, I, I wasn't, uh, I, it was just an answering machine on my uh, message on my mobile phone. But part of my answering machine message was, uh, I, I said, I love you. And then, <laughs> then somebody called me up and they said, you can't, you can't do that, David. You actually cannot put I love you on on an answering machine, and and I said, well, it, I don't know why not. It it just seems pretty natural to me. I don't think why why wouldn't I? You know, I couldn't even fathom. They were said, you can't say that on a. You should. You have to have a message. 
a greeting and I thought, no, I like putting I love you on there on, on my answering machine. And a friend of mine too, uh, one time she watched one of the videos or something that I had put out and she w went to a website and I had my cell phone number on the website and people have told me, don't do that, don't put your cell phone on a website. But I, I always learn after the fact. But anyway, she called me up. I was off traveling on one of my trips and everything and it was Lisa and she called me up on my cell phone and I answered the phone and and on the other end it wasn't even hello. There was no hello, there was no introduction, there was no uh, how are you. Uh, I just answered the phone and I heard this voice on the other end saying, I want joy. That was <laughs> that was what I heard after I, I answered the phone. Now that's like my I love you answering message, you know, when somebody calls you up and says, I want joy. And I just was like, I said, I totally join you in that. <laughs> See, there was no personalities involved in that. I want joy. I totally enjoy, join you in that. And that's the, ultimately the way the Spirit takes us to a place of letting the joy and the love in our heart just come out naturally. We don't have to hold back the I love yous. We don't have to have that part, ego part saying, oh be careful, don't say that. It, what does that mean? <laughs> As if like, watch out, that, that's a loaded, those are loaded words. No, those are not lo those are not loaded words. Those are natural. <laughs> those are natural words. <laughs> those are words coming from spirit. There's nothing loaded about "I love you" at all, except loaded full of joy. Uh, that if you want to be loaded, but not loaded in an egoic sense. So that's why we do this mind healing, this clearing, this forgiveness, so that we can naturally feel the feeling and then express the feeling and have it feel like it's the most natural expression. And Jesus does address that in the Course where he says, uh, he says, you have more difficulty with the words I, I love than I hate. <laughs> now that's a commentary on the human condition. If we have more difficulty with the words I love than I hate, then that just shows you that there's some forgiveness uh, required. But I feel like it starts to be more natural. We're starting obviously to feel the I love you's are really coming from a deep space, a deep, a deep calling in our heart and, and it does start to feel much, much more natural. And, and then the, uh, the, the hatred is like, it just disappears. It just it dries up and disappears because it really never had any substance anyway. That reminds me of uh, when Lisa told me because she is this joyful, bubbly, you know, like this state. And then she said, one day she came to me, she said she needed to go to the bank um, to handle something. So she went to the bank and she forgot her passcode for handling the matter. And the bank clerk said, wants to remind her of the passcode, but she can't just give it to her. She said, do you remember you set it up? It's a phrase. It's a phrase. What is a phrase? And the bank clerk said, well, it's, a, it's kind of this emotion and uh, maybe you were in something like a really extraordinary. And Lisa said, what is it? 
And the clerk tried to remind it, remind her, remind her, and they just get more and more. And then in the end, it was vibrant joy. <laughs> it was the the phrase, but it got both of them really up. <laughs> Trying so, to figure out the passcode. But that's the natural state. So you can you can just hold that state and invite everybody in it. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it it all gets used too. I think. So many of my experiences with Lisa was just this beautiful reminder that you you really can't mess it up. You you get we get, get so concerned about doing the right thing, and and so many experiences keep come to us that that ultimately you can't mess it up, and that ultimately the world is just one with your mind, and it's a reflection, and that whatever you need to seem to drop the mask will, will come effortlessly. You don't even have to make it happen. So, uh, I think there was one time, it was reminding me when uh, uh, Lisa went to a bank, you, when you mentioned the bank, and she went in and she did her thing in the bank and then she came out and, and I think she was Outside, getting ready to get in her car, and she looked down at the parking lot. It was just a few cars there, and she looked down, and I don't know, there was like a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars on the ground. And so Lisa just was like, "Oh my!" And it was like on the ground and everything. So she um, she picked it up and she took it home with her and everything. And then she calls me. Because I always get this, you know, what should, what should I do, what should I have done, you know, everybody's always asking me all these crazy behavior questions, which, you know, it's like almost like Big Brother is watching over there, you know, like, like it's a test, somehow God is testing you, <laughs> God drops a thousand, two thousand, whatever dollars on the, on the ground and then says, almost like you're a, a lab rat, like, well, what do they do, are they going <laughs> to... Like, pick it up or not, and everything, and so, but my message is always for everybody is the same, because the form thing, it's, it, it, it doesn't have any meaning except the meaning that you give it. I have given everything I see, all the meaning it has for me, so they're always, oh my, did I do the right thing, did, should, I have left, should I have gone inside, should I have taken home, and everything, and everything. I says, well, it's, you know, you're, you're innocent, you're innocent. You just have to feel the innocence, and then just you go forth, and and everything that's meant to happen will happen. Nothing, everything that's not meant to happen won't happen. You don't have to, you don't have to fix it. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to try to, to to kind of figure out what to do. It's like you can't mess it up. It, it'll all be obvious. And then um, I think she she got a call from the bank, and. The bank asked her if, because uh, they, they were missing some money, somebody was missing some money and they called her up uh, to ask her if she happened to, to see any money <laughs> on the ground. And then she's like, yes, yes, I did see it and everything. And so I said, so what did you do? She's well, I had, they, they said, bring it back, give it back. And so she did and everything, and I said, isn't that beautiful that you, it all works out <laughs> one way or the other, but it's all for forgiveness. 
It's all for innocence. It was all just for a blessing. You can't really mess anything up, you know, because it's all your mind. And in the end, the whole point's to come and see it's all your mind. And you always give, all I give is given to myself. So I just feel like that's the beauty we want to remember from this weekend of the graciousness. Even watching Take Me Home, it's, you can see with such grace and such appreciation how it all works together. How all the prayers were answered, even if the prayers were forgotten, they still were answered. Were answered. And that's another symbol of how, that's why we, we love how the Spirit can use a movie, because it's just telling us that we're innocent. And it's, it's reminding us of all the love, so mm. that was beautiful. So, thank you, that's been our Take Me Home weekend. <laughs> thank you for uh, joining us and sharing your love and sharing your heart and, and we love you and you're in our hearts and we're really grateful. We're really grateful. So thank you. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you. Ha, 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 ha.